everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 346. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix of Spinning. Bix, we're going way back this week. This is actually, as I look at the list, the second oldest show we've done as far as time period. In the words of the great Curly Moe on International World Class Championship Wrestling in Curly's Classic Corner, we're going way back. <laughs> I thought she was going to start quoting the original Curly Mo, Curly Mo Howard, or uh, Curly Joe. Yeah, Curly Joe, not Curly Mo. Oh, Curly you Joe. ruined that. Never get on me again, Jesus. <laughs> Curly Joe. Because, yeah. I was not, I'm not a big fan of Curly Joe. Now, do you prefer Curly Joe or Joe Besser? Um, I, I guess Curly Joe may have been better because Joe Besser had that, oh, come on thing about and you know it was kind of different but uh nobody nobody touches the original curly of course i mean curly howard is one of the all-time great comedic actors of uh our lifetimes here and um but yeah curly mo was a uh, quite the character in icw so ICW. well either one same thing but anyway, yes, so yeah, we're going to go back to 1984 this week in a show requested by one of our patrons. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. You can go there, and for $25, you can pick a show. Uh, for $50, you can sit in for a segment on the show, and 100 for the whole show, which is what our guest has done this week. As we are joined by multi-time $100 patron guest, uh, Mark Cole. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thanks very much. And you always like to pick uh, shows in this uh, time period, 84, 85, 86, 87-ish. So what was the rationale for picking this week? Well, I wanted to pick something around this time of the year because we had some new stuff that was going to be probably debuting around this time. And so I was, you know, I think there were a couple other things uh I had suggested that I think were our weeks were already taken. And then I was looking and I found the main reason why we're doing this show. And then I had to double check that you hadn't actually done it before. And so I was like, Oh, let me, this is, this is perfect. Um, little, you know, uh, because it's coming up on, it's the anniversary of something fairly infamous. And so I thought, Hey, this would be a, a great thing to talk about. I wasn't sure about everything else that had been going on in the wider wrestling scene at the time. Um, this was actually even before I started watching. Uh, I was 14. I was, I, at least I was, I was born unlike some of us, but uh, I don't <laughs> think. <laughs> Bix was, how low were you Bix here? Bix, take yourself off I was, mute. I was in the process of doing it while so trying to do the math. Um, okay, so do we consider a full term nine actual months or really ten months? <laughs> uh, nine months. So would I even, would I still just be an embryo? Would I even be a fetus yet? <laughs> so yes, Bix, Bix was still, uh, still inside of his mother. <laughs> I was, uh... Because I, because I, my birthday is December 6th, so... I, I was four... Uh, I would have, I would be five in August. So 
Mark, I'm sure this all makes you feel old. <laughs> well, actually, I should yeah. too. well, actually, now that I think of it, I believe I was about a week past my mom's protected due date. So, yeah, let's let's say, uh, how long would that be? So that would be okay. So if we go with end of November. Then yeah, I'm. She's like two. Yeah, she. My mom would have no idea she's pregnant yet. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> So Vix is, sw- is just hanging out at this point in time in his, in his m- mother's stomach. <laughs> As they say, the glint in someone's eye. <laughs> well, he's past that stage. <laughs> yeah, but this is before. This is actually before I started watching. As far as I can remember, I I know I was watching Crockett by the middle of '85, and I know I started watching WWF first. But I'm not exactly 100% sure when I had been doing – when I was doing my research, I went back and I listened to um, the 1984 Patreon episodes that you guys did. I guess there's a plug for the Patreon. Thank you. And like I think we got to maybe the summer or fall of 84, and it was things that I think I remember seeing. So that may be when I started watching – WWF, and then eventually I started watching Crockett, and then in '86, once we started getting more stuff here, I started watching, you know, what was available. So yeah, this is this is stuff that was uh, that that I didn't know about at the time because it wasn't my thing yet. Yeah, yeah, and like I said I was four and a half, so I really don't have a memory of this stuff. But I, God knows we've all watched this stuff. Since then, as we've gotten older and gotten access to the footage, so it's it's a great time in wrestling history. As uh, all, every, every WWF is you know in the early stages of their uh, worldwide domination, so all the territories are still going pretty strong here at this point in time. So well, the the interesting thing that I noticed when I was doing the the show prep was. Yeah, first, the number of people I associate from the WWF expansion that aren't there yet, which is interesting. And two, when you watch uh, territory TV shows from this era, we don't have everything from every territory. And sometimes we have like a week or two before where we have clips. But it's funny. I mean, we, you know, we may uh, notice this as we go through results how many people are simultaneously working in different places, whether it's uh, promotions that sort of work together or just guys that worked a bunch of places. I think uh, the person that stood out the most to me is, is Butch Reed. I think from what I watched around this time period, I heard Butch's name mentioned in five different territories. Uh, quote unquote, depending on how you view Kansas City and St. Louis. But it's funny, you know, like he's in Mid-South, he's in world class, he's in uh, Kansas City and St. Louis, which also includes the AWA TV. So it's funny to see him in so many different places. And because this is, you know, when we're still in the nascent era of the newsletters, even he's working as a heel in some places and a baby face in others, which is funny to see. And, you know, I guess we'll that's, you know, uh, I guess there's a number of people we'll see in different places that are working babyface and heel at the same time. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's get started. All right. So we're going to start with the week of March the 16th through the 22nd of 1984. And yes, we will start with the World Wrestling Federation, where this is the time period where they're going into these uh, other markets and taking television away from uh, territories. And the big one during our time period is San Francisco, the Bay Area. And we'll go to the March 21st issue of the San Francisco Chronicle in an article written by Art Rosenbaum titled, Not Malini's Show Invaded by NY Foe. Know what's happening in pro wrestling? There's a few going on. Don't laugh. This involves the operators of two separate troops battling for dominance across the land, including Northern California. That's not a nice birthday present for Leo the Lion Nomalini, who celebrates the start of his fourth year as promoter with All-Star Wrestling at the Cow Palace on Saturday night. During the three years here, ex-All-Pro 49er Nomalini has built gates for the Vern Gagne shows, American Wrestling Association, that come out of the Midwest. A recent Battle Royal drew a $94,000 house to the Cow Palace, one of the largest gates in a decade. To appreciate the pro game, one should be aware the promotion via the media is difficult. Sports pages are sparing their with their space for something called exhibitions by the State Athletic Commission. Most of the promotion is achieved by pre-match TV, flyers, wrestling publications, and the personal close-to-customers effort of someone like former wrestler Namalini. TV is a must. During those three years, the Ganya Namalini show has been seen every Saturday over Channel 20, on a barter arrangement. The promoter provides the film at no cost, and the station derives revenues from the commercials. In recent months, Vince McMahon Jr.'s World Wrestling Federation on New York has been invading territories across the country. McMahon controls all the shows. Gagnon provides talent for independent local promoters, such as Domolini. So far, there's been only one live show by McMahon in Northern California, in San Jose, which is part of a package of three successive nights, including Los Angeles and San Diego. The signs of attempted takeover has been evident. Recently, McMahon's weekly film supplanted Ganya's on Channel 20 because as station owner Jim Gabbard explained, they're paying me two grand a week. I didn't realize at first that the All-Star film was tied into the live show at the Cow Palace. When those big wrestlers insult each other, it's like a three-minute commercial building up a match. But that doesn't bother me. Most viewers just enjoyed the film sitting home with a beer. Titan has better production and ratings are way up. I may even move it to Saturday night. Gabbard also said he heard rumors of antitrust suits against McMahon in which his station might be included. He's not concerned. On the artistic side, his critique of the two wrestling productions is influence. One suspects by the Southern Cornucopia. Few film producers pay the station to play the product. Two grand a week ain't hey. Impartial viewers tell me that there isn't much to choose from except the Ganya Namalini film has more stars because performers have become familiar in this market over the last three years. The guess is that McMahon is paying at this point to make his grapplers recognizable locally. In any case, the Ganya Nomalini TV has moved up a few notches up the dial. It's now seen every Saturday from 2 to 3 p.m. on Channel 26, where I suppose to indicate satisfaction with the program to a point it may be shown twice weekly, Saturdays and early Friday evenings. Channel 26 becomes a paid TV station later at night. Nomalini's popularity radiates. Listen to one wrestling fan, a Jonathan Koresh of Berkeley. Professional wrestling was in bad shape until Nomalini took over. The WWF wants a monopoly on professional wrestling. As I learned from articles in wrestling magazines, McMahon's expansion plan includes the Bay Area, possibly with matches in the Oakland Coliseum. 
Lewis Financial Resources, McMahon might bring it into the AWA and Nominee's promotion in the Bay Area. Where just to happen to be a shame. No, 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 not Nominee's AWA show is good, but he has worked hard to rekindle interest in the Bay Area. I phoned Channel 20 about the switch in programs. It was told Dave was a better show. An opinion I disagree with, and one that's apparently formed without pulling barrier wrestling fans. Oh, that was Koresh. Nominee is an executive with a title company. He'll survive without wrestling, but he prefers his dual role. We're alive, we're fighting, and I expect to be promoting for many years, he said yesterday. I'm not going to discuss other promoters, but you can quote Leo that we had the best talent in the United States, and Saturday night six-man tag match would be absolutely sensational. Got that? So here we are. And um, this is a story that's playing out across the country. Um, we'll, we'll talk some more about that as we go along in different places. But uh, the Bay Area was one of the big early, you know, battlegrounds. Gr- yeah. Battlegrounds, excuse me, battlegrounds for McMahon. And, and it's because it's, it's Vern related and everything. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the go in, you go in, take the TV, force them to move. And they were lucky here because they actually were still on at a good time slot in the afternoon on Saturday, but just on a different station. So, you know, that's, that's the big difference there. But Bix, I mean, this is, like I said, this is something that we, is playing out everywhere. Yes. And I just did some digging real quick to add to this before we really discuss it further. Um, we're about a month removed from the 1984 NATB convention, you know, the big TV syndication convention, which as far as I can tell is the WWF's first NATP. And there's this blurb in Variety's coverage of some of the more interesting things that happened at NATP. The strangest exhibition booth at the Moscone was the one run by the World Wrestling Federation. It's noisy, floor-banging wrestling bouts, because yes, for several years the tradition was they would do matches by their booth in a ring, uh, it's noisy, floor-banging wrestling bouts managed to draw lots of people, but no one could figure out how WWF could sell anything in its crowded space, what with all the bedlam. Chris, what city is the Moscone Center in? San Francisco. Ding, 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 ding. Named after Mayor Moscone, who was, uh... The one who was assassinated the- along with uh, Harvey Milk. Yeah. Yeah. So but- there you go. They, you know, the people who didn't even have to travel, who didn't have to worry about their hotels or whatever, seemed like it made a strong impression on them. Yeah, I mean, and they had already, you know, taken over Los Angeles, where Los Angeles didn't have any competition. Well, but in that case, but, though, yeah. they they made de- Vince did make a deal with LaBelle, though, even if he went back. That's what I'm saying. He, yeah, he had LaBelle, you know, but, I mean... Here, if you're going to be in Los Angeles, you might as well go for the Bay Area, too. And, you know, San Francisco is a, you know, hovering top five market, you know, around that time period. Sometimes it moves. It could be four or five or six. It all depends. But, um, yeah, I mean, you're going for this. You're going for these big markets, and it's a natural fit. And, hey, who cares what these other promoters think? And what I thought was interesting, Mark— is listening to the station manager talk about the difference in the production of the television shows as a key selling point for him with Vince. Well, that's certainly an early talking point in the expansion of how much better Vince's TV looked probably than lots of the other companies, certainly better than Vern's TV. I mean, Vern's TV has always been about as bland and basic as you can get. 
and you know, even in the early expansion era, you know, Vince's show certainly looks much better. Well, and not only that, even with the shows in Allentown and Hamburg at the be- very beginning of the expansion, don't forget that right here in March, right, right here where we are with March, I believe is right around or right after they launched the Sea Show Superstars of Wrestling, which quickly becomes a sh- well, not necessarily a Sea Show. We'll get in that in a second, but it becomes heavily built around stuff taped at the Keel Auditorium. And that undoubtedly looks better than most people's TV. And in some markets, it was the primary WWF show. Not not all, not close to all, but it was the primary WWF show for a lot of people. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I just watched. Uh... Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I don't know. Is anybody else taping TV in arenas yet, or is everybody pretty much still studio? I mean, dep- except for the sportatorium. I think That's everybody it. else is, is yeah. Everybody else is still I mean, in, in yeah, yeah studios. The thing is, is I just watched a um, AWA show from January '84 the other day, and it's it's still in the studio. They're still doing the you know the studio wraparounds and everything, and it, it's it's like you watch that show and it's so it still looks like it did four or five years earlier. You know, there's like it's not changed. Everything's about the same, other than you have Ken Resnick instead of Gene Okerlund, you have Ron Trungard instead of Roger Kent. But it's still the pretty much the same guys. You know, where in WWF, I mean, they're starting to change talent. You got new talent starting to come in from around the country. You know, it's it looks like a totally fresher product. It's got you know. The contemporary music, it's just got it's got a better look and feel to it, and that something like that will, you know, stand out to a station manager, and also hell, two thousand dollars a week compared to nothing also stands out to a station manager as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, to your point, you know? huh? to your point, the AWA TV that I watched from around this time, it's you know, Brad Rangins, Saido, and Ventura, Zoomhoff. And Chris Markoff. It's like, is that 1984, 1981? You know what I mean? It's, I mean, Vern's show is so, you know, has, is still stale. And, you know, it's, you know, I'm sure if we took out like a show from the late 70s and you just cherry picked it and it has Bockwinkle and the Blackwells and the Crusher and the Bruiser, you'd have no idea what year that's from. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, for what it's worth, I just checked. Only seeing a few listings from early in the year in January, although you never know because the listing could have just changed to wrestling. But uh, looks like Channel 20 did not have superstars. That Channel 31 had WWF superstars wrestling. So they were not getting the arena show, at least. Yeah. So. Yeah, the Bay Area is up for grabs now. So there's that. All right, more into this type of story. And put Arnold Scullin in charge of the Midwest and Pat Patterson in charge of the West Coast. So they're handling all the business there. Well, there's another, you know, if you're going to the Bay Area, having Pat Patterson be your point man, definitely not the worst idea in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, because it's funny when you look at the results, I don't think there's a lot of people I would historically think of as wrestling in San Francisco other than Pat. So, yeah, so. You know, he's 
you know, having him is good, just his talent, let alone him being in the front office. And, you know, this is something you guys talk a lot on the show is, you know, that when you have guys that are known that have been around for a while, that when they go in to meet with TV executives who are in their thirties or forties, it's guys that they may have remembered seeing as children watching on TV. So, you know, if some generic guy comes in from some company to try and pitch them, you know, it'd be like, okay, whatever. But you know, if it's Pat Patterson, it's like, Hey, I remember seeing Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens, you know, for like the last 15, 20 years wrestling. So it's cool. He's a star. And now he's working with this new guy that has the better TV. Oh, and he's paying us too. Sure. Sign us up. And see the best thing that the Bay area had on their side with Vern is they have Leo Namalini as the promoter and the guy, the you know, hall of fame football player of the 49ers and a legend out there. I mean, that's the big thing that they had in their side that nobody else really had as far as territories was having a guy from outside of wrestling who was a major sports star being, you know, in a powerful position. So that helped them out majorly. Well, he you know, was as both. far as getting barriers. Well, I mean, yeah, but he was a, he was a bigger star on football. Bitch. Sure. I mean, no, the whole I, thing. Know. I know. <laughs> I mean, I know you're in the wrestling bubble, but I'm saying he no, is, I he know is how a big much star bigger he star was, football. But I'm just he saying, was, no, but my point is he's not a complete outsider. No, he's not, but the, to the no, to, to the, the average that person in San Francisco the and the TV, yeah, and the TV people, they think of him as the as the Hall of Fame football player. Yes, exactly, exactly. And Arnold Scullin, you know, Scullin at this point in time had been, you know, basically running upstate New York and you know that type of area. So this is a expanding his base uh, of operations as well at the current time. I don't uh, know how long that will last, but there you go. He did have a lot of experience as a wrestler in the Midwest, especially as part of the Buddy Rogers crew, like in the fit in the fifties, very early sixties. He yeah. did. He did. And just by the all way, right, well, I'm I'm curious. Right, do we what, have any Matt results stuff, or is this all right. Observer from here on? Um, I mean that th- that's it. I mean, what I just read in Patterson thing was Matt results, and everything else is Observer. So, gotcha. Yeah. Well, not much left. We've got results and other I mean, for the whole, the sundries, for the whole, yeah. no, it's not just for right. WF. I mean, <laughs> that's what I meant. This oh, week. We got, it's mixed up. Well, no, well, I thought you meant this section. No, no, I was curious since no, I didn't see lot. any uh, notations. That's why. Well, I don't notate that stuff. So. Oh, okay. All right. Because, well, they get their stuff from Dave a lot of the time, too. So it's a lot of, a lot of rehash. <laughs> so there's your difference, Bix. All right, um, Springfield, Massachusetts. We'll start with the shows. They ran a matinee card there on the 17th. 9,000 fans at Springfield. Jose Luis Rivera over Butcher Bashan in your opener. Rocky Johnson over Akira Maeda. Tony Gurria over Charlie Fulton. Paul Orndorff over B. Brian Blair. They always had good matches. Ivan Pusky over Tiger Chimney by the game Lee struck referee Tony Altimore. Jimmy Snook over Iron Man. Sharp, SD Jones over Rene Goulet, and Andre the Giant won a $5,000 Royal. Orndorff was eliminated before he even got his robe off, and then you had, he was first one out, and then you got Rivera, Butcher Vachon, Charlie Fulton, Iron Sheet, Mr. Fuji, Ivan Pesky, Tungaria, Sika, 
Ron Johnson, Alpha, uh, uh, Jones, Akira Maeda, Jimmy Snuka, E. Brian Blair, Tony Atlas, Nate Lee, Tiger Chin Lee, and Iron Mike Sharp in order of elimination. Now, uh, that night, they went to the Boston Garden, 14,200. Not bad day, not a bad day in the state of Massachusetts for the World Wrestling Federation. As we had the Invaders, one and three, over Akira Maeda and Marzino. <laughs> Maeda's miserable. Uh, well, Brian Blair went to a draw with Tiger Chin. Go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say if my if my aid is miserable now, wait until you uh, wait until the result coming up. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Dean Brown Blair went to a draw with Tucker Chun Lee, Iron Sheik over Salvatore Belomo, Paul Lordorf over Tony Garea, Saunders Slaughter Mr. Fuji, Tito retained Intercontinental over Iron Mike Sharp, Hogan retained Doyota over Dr. D. David Schultz, Andre over Matt Superstar, and then Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas over the Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty, and Charlie Fulton. I mean you can see here, Mark, why th- this show especially drew so well. I mean, you got all the champions here. I mean, this is this is a loaded card. Yeah, and and Slaughter and and Slaughter, who is you know Slaughter is, baby face. Yep. Yeah, Slaughter and Andre, your two big baby faces that don't need belts at this point. So yeah, certainly a, a you know again not knowing uh, everybody who is and is not there. There's only a handful of people I can think of that aren't on that show that are there by this time. Yeah. A stack show there. All right. So Dayton hair arena on March 19th for 6,000 fans, Jerry Valiant over Kira Maeda, <laughs> Sika over Tony Garia, Sardis Sauna over Bobby Colt, Tony Atlas over Mr. Fuji by count out Pat Patterson over the iron Sheik, who was just world champion two months earlier. Tito retained IC Teller over Tiger Chun Lee, Andre over Matt Superstar, and Andre won a battle royal. And in Cincinnati, the next night at Riverfront Coliseum, Steve Lombardi went to a draw with Jerry Valiant, Tony Atlas over Bobby Colt, Iron Sheik over Akira Maeda, Sardar Slaughter over Tiger Chun Lee, Mr. Fuji over Bob Boyer, Jimmy Snook over Alpha, Tito retained IC Teller over Matt Superstar by Countout, and Andre won a battle royal. All right, Bix, what are your thoughts on these cards that we just read out here and stuff going on at this point in time? Honestly, what's really jumping out to me is how much they don't have, like, a full-sized multiple shows a night crew yet to the point that we're we're seeing TV job guys who are not normally on-the-road prelim guys on-the-road in prelims here, like Bobby Colt and Bob Boyer. Well, they're they're in certain. It, it depends on the area. Okay. If they're in that area where those guys would be working, um, then th- th- that's like Spike Huber would be, you know, a guy who was working okay. around St. Louis. It was that type of thing. Um, that type of setup. Um, yeah. Okay. So the twentieth in Cincinnati. So right, here's that crew. The twenty. The also in twentieth they ran a, a, a spot show in Linden, New Jersey. Okay. So here's the here, here, here's who worked that show. Salvatore Belomo over Rudy Diamond. Iron Mike Sharp over Steve Lombardi. Jose Luis Rivera over Butcher Vachon. Ivan Pusky over Dr. D. David Schultz by DQ. And Invaders over Rene Galea and Charlie Fulton. So probably a high school show. Yeah. So uh, Oh, and I, I, I'm surprised they put this in the notes. I, I completely forgot, Bix, real quick before uh, we move on here. Queens, they ran a show at Ridgewood Groves on the 21st. Yeah, Ridgewood Grove Arena, which is uh, n- I, now, I, 
if I remember the exact location, well, there's a place that's called Arena Billiards. So I assume that space where that building is, is the former Ridgewood Grove Arena. So these days, the Ridgewood Grove Arena is a billiards place upstairs, some restaurants on one part downstairs, and a giant, weird, overpriced buffet place taking up most of the space. <laughs> Here's the results of that show. Rene Galeva, Rudy Diamond, subbing for Brian Blair. Salvador Belomo going to a 20-minute draw with Charlie Fulton. Jose Luis Rivera with Butcher Vachon. Rene Goulet subbing for Akira Maeda over Steve Lombardi. Iron Mike Sharp subbing for Paul Orndorff and Dr. D going to a two out of three falls draw with Ivan Putsky and Rocky Johnson subbing for Chief J. Strongbow. Rocky and Iron Mike Sharp are supposed to have a singles match, but filled in for the missing guys in the tag. So that was your Ridgewood Grove show. And the other crew was in fucking Huntington, West Virginia. Where you had S.D. Jones going to a draw with Tucker Chun-Li, Iron Sheik over Tony Gurria, Tony House over Mr. Fuji, Snook over Matt Superstar, and Andre and Tito over the Samoans. Hmm. So, I mean, that's you know, as much as we talk about this time, you know, WF ha- having a just a total hodgepodge on television, you're seeing the total hodgepodge on the way they put their house shows, too. Well, it's also interesting that on those two Ohio shows and those ones that you just mentioned, that they like they have the tag champs in singles matches or not. You know, Rocky Johnson's not on either of the Ohio shows, which is weird. Is it that weird? No, well, <laughs> not for WF. I mean, well, but no, also, I mean, and, for Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson specifically. Yes. Yeah. But. Yeah, I don't think you would normally expect to see the tag team champions being booked on separate shows, you know, A show, B show. That's Especially this weird. era. Right. I think that that's got to be a byproduct of it being, yeah, listen, Johnson, I would think. Yeah, and, and and there's a reason why Hogan is not working a lot of shows at during our week. He's, he's just, he's bouncing around, you know, I mean. He goes from Boston on the seventeenth to St. Louis on the twenty third with with nothing. I guess so. I guess he was he was getting some days off. Do we know when Goldie uh, and the Bears is shot? Uh, no, no, okay. I don't know when it's shot. So. Also, uh, why do I have this weird feeling that Maeda missed the Ridgewood Grove Arena show because someone told him to take the subway? <laughs> well, he, I mean, he was. The, the thing is, he wasn't the only one that wasn't there, so maybe there was something going on. Yeah, somewhere. I guess I so. I'm just having this image of Akira Maeda in 1984, New York City, and being told <laughs> to take the M train, and being told to get off at Myrtle, not realizing there's two Myrtles. <laughs> there's Myrtle Avenue Broadway and Myrtle Avenue Wyckoff Avenue. Myrtle only Myrtle I know, is Myrtle Beach. Well, so. I'm just glad right. we. I'm yeah. glad we got the Goldie and the Bears reference in. That makes me happy. <laughs> Bob Backlund returned on the March 6 Allentown TV tapings, which is airing during this week, and he was receiving a mix of cheers and boos. Despite his clear cut and Im- clean cut image, fans have either ter- become turned off by his almost overboard version of his earlier image, or was just fed up with his lack of anything in the ring, or were hopeful after putting up with a guy for nearly six years they were done with him. <laughs> Yeah, Backland. How about a fall from grace? And it started in 83. I mean, you can see how they react to him in 83. And it, it had started. And then the way he lost the title and everything that happened after that. I mean, yeah, he was just 
he, he was in a bad spot at this point in time. And Mark, you know, you're, you're, you're like I said, I'm about to say you're you're a 14 year old fan, so you're in that demographic of 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 guys who probably were not you know too keen on Bob Backlund. No, and I was going to say if if contemporary fans kind of get tired of somebody's act after too long. Can you imagine in 2022 if you had someone like Bob Backlund being champion for six years? What social media would be like for him? It'd be horrible. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, with somebody like him, they would have already turned they would have turned him heel much earlier. You know, I mean, that's the thing. And, and he wouldn't. And here's the thing: he wouldn't have lasted six years as champion anyway. No, that's true. It's just funny when you know you occasionally see people. You know, commenting, I guess, currently on like how long Reigns has been champion, you know, that they're saying, oh, he's getting up into, you know, Hogan backland territory. And I'm like, not really. Like maybe in punk territory, but, you know, still be a long way to go for that. And yeah, yeah, like you said, I, yeah, I would have not liked backland because. I think this is probably not a surprise to people that know me that, you know, I was pretty much instantly a heel fan. So yeah, I would not have had much time for, for that Bob Backlund. Yeah. And and the thing is Bix on this taping, this is the taping that they decided to really make it worse and that they had Bob there and they were having like his kids the kids that he was working with do exhibition matches. Oh, this is that taping. Yeah, when his kids are doing exhibition matches, exhibition amateur wrestling matches, in and the, the fans love the kids, and the fans love the kids, <laughs> but when Bob showed up, they were booing. Oh, oh, it just wasn't good. And he's still wearing his fucking uh, leisure suits and all that stuff, so just not good. Not good for Bob. Now, what was good was on Championship Wrestling during our week. Andre the Giant makes his Piper's Pit debut. So let's go to uh, one Rowdy Roddy Piper and his guest, Andre the Giant. Oh, and I just noticed something. Uh, not our week. The week before uh, was the debut. So the first week from this taping was the debut of the opening sequence with Michael Jackson's Thriller. That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, let's, let's go to the clip. <laughs> I'm not I'm not uh, that well acquainted with you. First of all, Andre, uh, here we have this week on Piper's Pit of... This is the version on the WWE YouTube pulled from the Piper DVD, which is why owner of a lonely heart is dead. Yes. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I'm just seeing from the t- from the timestamp and stuff, too, it really is something just how short a lot of these Piper's Pits are. Oh, some of, yeah, some, a lot of them are less than a minute. Of course, Andre the Giant... Uh, Supposed to be the biggest man in the world ever. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, where are you from, Andre? I'm sorry, do, do you speak English? Uh, where, Andre, where do you come from? None of your business. If, if, if the questions are too hard for you, I will try to bring them down a little so you can understand. I understand big body, little tiny weenie brain. I can understand that. That's very simple. Let's let's get right down to facts. Is it not true that John Studd himself 
took the largest man like yourself supposedly in the world and picked him up and slammed him. Is it not true that John Studd slammed you? Never. Are you telling me that John Studd never slammed you? You trying to tell me at 540 pounds, whatever you are, that you cannot be slammed? Are you understand English or no? I told you that one time. <laughs> at 520 pounds, if I given five minutes, I could slam you myself. I don't care. You're saying John Studd could at 520. Andre <laughs> The one thing, the one thing about that is Piper definitely was not weak in that. I mean, he was standing up ready to fight Andre. It's already had it by his shirt. Yeah. So, and, and the thing is, Piper had been portrayed as more the manager at this point in time, not really as the wrestler. So, yeah, interesting to watch that because yeah. the timing of it. And also, it's a good reminder to because at least I have not yet watch the March 84 MSG show on uh, the award-winning World Wrestling Federation Network because that had never aired before. All we had really seen was, I think, a couple undercard matches on TV and the Andre and Snuka versus Piper and Schultz match clipped up on the Piper home video, but the whole thing's on there, and apparently it's quite good. That match, at least. So, curious to check that out. Yeah, um... It's a very bloody match, also, considering the relative frivolity of the Piper's Pit that sets it up. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Piper here, Mark, in his early stages of his WF run? I was just thinking that's probably the face that Andre makes when people tried to bother him while he was eating or drinking. It's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's one look. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Andre, I'll, I'll leave you alone. Or being confronted with a too small car. At the when somebody picked him up, yeah, it's yeah, you know, I I personally I've never been a Piper guy, so to me that's that just, surprises me considering I know you like you love the heels and stuff. I'm I surprised. love my heel. I I can't tell you why. It's just I've I've never cottoned to him, and I know that most people that are in in my my demographic that are heel fans love Piper. It's just uh, yeah, he's like deity to a lot, a lot of them. He just he just for whatever reason he's just always rubbed me the wrong way. Huh. It's I mean I I I find him more annoying than funny, but you know he's he's great at what he and maybe you know he's doing his job, but you know whether it's you know babyface or a heel I've just i'm just not a paper guy i mean you know i i certainly acknowledge his greatness you know that's true for for a number of people that are lots of people's favorites it's like yes uh you know an all-time great just not for me and that's fine yeah i got you and bix one thing i noticed in that thing too uh 
when Piper had her shirt off. Uh, looked like he'd been working out. He was looking well, pretty buff there in his upper body. He's coming to LM Town in Hamburg every three weeks. So yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Doctor George Zaharian. <laughs> so there you go. Boys need their candies, World- don't they? Yeah, World Wrestling Federation. The other funny thing about that Piper's Pit is because we're so early, there's no there's no Cowboy Bob yet. That's also still, like it makes it look still like a rocket. Different. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's just like I said, it's funny to see Piper's Pit without Bob Orton. And that plain blue backdrop too. You know, it still it still had that Victory Corner thing uh, thing to it. In fact, I think that was still the Victory Corner desk. That was uh, it would be in use. So there you go. Well, also remember in '84 there were like three different Piper's Pit sets. Yes, <laughs> there's this one. There's the orangey one they used at the St. Louis TV tapings, and there was also well, that wasn't really a Piper's Pit set. That was just the same set they used for everything. There was the empty blue studio where they taped the uh, Superstars of Wrestling exclusive segments. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go international now. In the land of the rising sun first in all Japan for a wrestling. Land of the rising fun. (laughs) Land of the rising fungible tokens. (laughs) Yes. Um, RFTs. Uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling and Nippon TV, the parent group of this company. Well, kind of. Part owner. Tell 1984 Dave Meltzer that. Well, what company uh, is he calling it? All Japan Pro Wrestling or PWF? <laughs> he just said this company. Um, this is this is verbatim. Was negotiating with Satoru Sayama last week, which didn't make John Baba too happy. Baba greatly disapproved of this, and Dave was told that there was no possibility of Sayama working in All Japan. In fact, an agreement was reached with Baba and New Japan's booker Seiji Saguchi to not raid each other for talent again. <laughs> for what reasons which Dave wasn't clear about, Bala will no longer allow any wrestler who appeared on a New Japan match to appear with this group. <laughs> in Sayama's case, it's a little worse, as many of the wrestlers feel that in going to the press last year, he went too far. If he can return, he is certain to run into someone with a genuine grudge out for him. From Baba's standpoint, why hire somebody who had already led a mutiny against Antonio Noki and is certain to become the most popular wrestler in his group? <laughs> yeah, why, we, why don't we want to bring in a guy who could be a total malcontent and still be the most popular guy among the fans? Exactly. But, of course, what the deal with Sayami is, Bix, of course, is uh, him exposing the business to the media. I mean, literally, the name of his book was Kayfabe. <laughs> yes. But it's interesting to read this in March because we all know what happens a few months later. So Nippon TV was definitely looking to add a Tiger Mask character. Yeah. And but they all did the right thing and got with Kajiwara and got rights to the gimmick and created their own. I forget. I know we've talked about the different coloring of Masawa's outfit compared to the other Tiger Masks before. It, did we ever get a reason for why? Like, is that... It wasn't different at first. Well, no. When he debuts, it's the same colors. Straight. Although, although, you know, in fairness to Sayama, Sayama had already left those colors in, before he left New Japan. He was wearing the red red pants. Yeah. 
He's a so he AKA had, kickboxing he, pants. Yeah, which Tiger Mask Four would have, would do later later on. But yeah, he had already he already ditched the tights uh, a couple months before he left each band. So yeah, there's that. But uh, well, also we need to remember the UWF is kind of the UWF hasn't started yet. The UWF is already no. a thing. It's though. a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. But they they don't run any shows for about yeah. three weeks after the until three weeks after, but. And the big thing is that on the MSG show we just talked about that's coming up is when he becomes the new WWF international champion in a decision match over uh, Pierre Lefebvre. But, like, I've seen the video because I had a copy of that in the past and I I forget if it's on, in the version on the network. You can clearly see references to the UWF on that belt, on that WWF show. Because at the time, well, Vince was playing there. both sides. He's pl- Well, but there's also, like, the... Is UWF really affiliated with New Japan stuff? This I, I need to see if anyone who's done the translation work has covered any of this in detail. Because it, it's really confusing. It, and that's, not, you, like, that's even before they, you get into all the false advertising of New Japan guys, too. On, on the first UWF tour. Well, Dave's confused in the newsletter. I mean, he, he doesn't really know how to describe UWF. Um, I'm trying to find it because it's after it's after our week. But let me, let me see if I'm fine with Dave. Uh, what Dave said about UWF in here, but yeah, I mean, Mark, I totally understand why you know Nippon TV would want Tiger Mask because, good lord, I mean, he was you know maybe the biggest wrestling television star in the country before he quit. Yeah, it's just this is such an interesting time with all the turmoil that's going around, you know, jumping, not jumping new groups, you know, like you said, UWF will be soon. And this is something, you know, I had forgotten about because I hadn't watched it in a while that, you know, people may not remember that the UWF when it started was not the UWF that everybody remembers. I mean, Maeda's first match on the first show was against Dutch for, for goodness sake. You know, yeah. it was not yeah. what it will what it will become. No, it was a pro it was pro wrestling, and, and you know it was called Universal Pro Wrestling Federation. And uh, I'll just read read what I, what I have here. It's all about you know the office is open on March the eighth, and during the opening press party came word that Fuji TV had canceled plans to televise UWF. They had agreed to give uh, UWF a eight to nine p.m. primetime slot on Wednesdays. Uh, but they, but Shinma basically was feeding them that he was going to bring in Choshu, Sayama, and maybe even Anoki himself. And when none of this materialized, Fuji wanted nothing to do with the group. So Shinma was negotiating with some local stations for the earliest he can get a TV a slot is September. And uh, Dave talked about how uh, Maeda would be their top star by virtue of his title win at Master Square Garden. So in fact, Takata was also scheduled to be on that card at the Garden to win the WF Junior Heavyweight title, but for some reason that didn't take place. Well, because Takata is currently trying to figure out what he wants to do, I'm guessing. And and here's this. As Shima, as WF's figurehead president, announced that Fujinami and Dynamite Kid were stripped of their WF titles for participating in title defenses without consulting the WF president, or some ridiculous reason. Of course, New Japan is still recognizing them as the champions. <laughs> And um, 
Yeah, they UWF had a show booked at Sumo Hall on April 17th. They had to cancel because they had no TV. It was supposed to have Maeda against Fujiwara for the WF International title, and Pedro Aguayo defending the WF World Lightweight title against Grand Hamada. So, I mean, he kind of he kind of talks about how you know there's something going on. So nobody nobody really knows at this point in time. But anyway, let's go to New Japan Pro Wrestling. TBSI's payment to New Japan went through this week, which is right before Seisaw Gucci's trip to the United States, where he'll be meeting with Vince McMahon. In addition to the network signed annual contracts to just by everyone in the company with large signing bonuses of $10,000 or more. In fact, the referee received a large signing bonus for a one-year contract. It's rumored that Ricky Toshu's signing bonus was hovering $50,000. Previously, only Anoki, Fujinami, Sanguchi, and Sayama had contracts, and the rest were paid nightly. This mass change of policy was done to prevent wrestlers from jumping the word for Hisashi Shinma. And it has been labeled a success because the most important possible jumpers, Fujinami and Choshu, remained in the bowl. Actually, wait a second. This can't be true, though, because didn't Takada have to pay a penalty to get out of his contract? This is what the, the Japanese part of the Observer had, Dix. I know, but isn't that, like, settled history at this point? I understand what was reported at the time. <laughs> but maybe Takata signed, Bix. You got to remember. You know, these guys probably signed contracts. Not, no so, one Takata's, gonna... so Takata's thinking he's going to stay, and then Maeda, whoever, convinces him to jump? Probably, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So... That's probably part of it, because well, let's go to the results, and you'll see who's working shows. <laughs> All right, that's March 16th, Kagoshima Arena. Fumihiro Nakura over Keiichi Yamada in your opening match. Makoto Arakawa over Shinichi Nakano. Wasukurisu over Shinji Kasugi. Kuno Kobayashi and Sama Terunichi went to a Thailand draw with Kataro Hoshino and Asama Kido. Bobby Duncan over Nobuhiko Takada. Wild Samoan, that's Samula, over Yoshaki Fujiwara by disqualification. Kino Kamara and Seishaguchi over Ed Leslie and Dick Murdoch. Yeah, that is it. Uh, Brutus. And main event, Ricky Choshu and Adam Hamaguchi went to a no contest with Antonio Noki and Tatsumi Fujinami. Now, on the 21st, Ricky Choshu and Yoshaki Fujiwara had their big grudge match in Osaka. Fujiwara threw powder in Choshu's eyes and worked him over, but Choshu rallied back, winning with the side of suplex, pinning in less than five minutes. Choshu interfered in the Tetsun Fujinami Yoshikiyasu match, hitting Fujinami with a lariat as he had Yatsu in the, in the Satori Kadami. And then after the main event, Ishingun then attacked Atanoki and held him so Choshu could hit him with a lariat, where Anoki was then carried out afterwards. Full results are shown from 11,500 of Sakacho Hall. Uh, Fumiho Nakura over Nakusano, Masukurisa over Shinshikasugi, Kataro Hoshino no Mikotsukata over Makoto Orakawa and Asama Kido, Kuno Kobayashi over Black Cat, Kokomura over Samula, Bobby Duncan and Ed Leslie over Edababaguchi and Sabo Teradishi by disqualification, Ricky Choshu over Fujiwara, Fujinami over Yatsu by Nikyu, and Anoki and Saguchi over the North South Connection, Adrian and Donis and Dick Murdoch. I just watched this um, a few months ago. This whole thing is fucking volcanic hot. Uh, th this whole from Cho the Choshu Fujiwara match on down the rest of the show. 
my God. Exciting, heated. Woof. Wow. And Did on top know? of that. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I thought you were done. Our connections are no. a little weird tonight. Um, This is the first tour for the 84 Young Lion class. Yeah. And Anoki's injury angle. I mean, yeah, good Lord. That was, that was a, a big deal. And he, were, he was supposed to wrestle the next day at Amagasaki on the 22nd, but he was attacked on the way to the ring by Ishingun with Kunio Kobayashi battering his elbow several times. And he was replaced by Sakaguchi. Results of this show, Keiichi Yamato over Naoki Sano in your opening match. Those two wouldn't do anything as time goes yeah, on. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Shinichi knocking over Tashitoshi Goto. Arakawa and Haruka Egan over Black Cat and Shunji Kasugi. Samula over Fumihiro Nakura. Bobby Duncan over Masukarisu. Osamu Kido over Ed Leslie. Kobayashi and Teradishi going to double count out with Hoshino and Takata. Adonis and Murdoch over Kimura and Saguchi. And then Fujinami, Fujiwara and Saguchi over Toshu Hamaguchi and Yasu by disqualification. So, yeah, I mean, this is... The team, I, I've watched all the 1984 television, and from from the beginning of the year all the way to the end of the year, when, when Choshu's crew leaves, uh, 84 New Japan television is week to week some of the best wrestling television you'll ever see as far as matches. I mean, yeah, you don't have the, you know, angles, like, you know, your normal American television shows and promos. But as far as wrestling goes and heat and angles involving wrestling matches, it's as good as it gets. Fantastic. Fantastic. I am morbidly curious. What kind of gimmick did Ed Leslie have at this time? Uh, a blonde haired guy with a beard and black tights. Okay. <laughs> that's it. He's ba- I mean, if you saw him as Dizzy Hogan, that's what he is here. I was about to say, that's, that's your, uh, that's your John Doe wrestler, blonde hair, dark beard, regular trunks. It's like wrestler 101. But Hogan got him on, he's getting him the tours. So, you know. I mean, I hadn't even realized that he was just working, though, as Ed Leslie here. I thought he was working as Dizzy Hogan. Oh, no. He's working as Ed Leslie. So, is this the only time outside of some of the weird late career stuff that he actually worked as Ed Leslie? Not the, he worked in New Japan as Ed Leslie multiple times. Well, that's what I mean. His New Japan tour. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. That was the only time he worked on his real name. Only time. Because everywhere else, Dizzy Hogan, Eddie Balder, etc. Yes, exactly. Samuel impressed everyone on the tour and he even got the pin Kunio Kobayashi. So he will undoubtedly be invited back, which he was. So, yeah, I mean, Samuel was, he was pretty damn good talent, this young in his career. Is he in Montreal yet at this point? Oh, no, no, no. That's later. Okay. No, he's, he's still done. Yeah. Oh, okay. Time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has the third smelling. Yeah. Well, let's go to New Zealand now. March 19th in Christchurch, New Zealand. Keith Hart over Luke Williams. Moondal Moretti over Tony Ricard. Ricky Ricard over Bruce Hart. And Harley Race over Champagne Jerry Morrow. Then the next night in Wellington at Town Hall, March 20th, Moondog Moretti over Jerry Morrow, Bruce Hart over Ricky Ricard, Keith Hart over Luke Williams, and Harley Race regains the NWA World Heavyweight title beating Ric Flair. 
at Auckland, New Zealand on the 21st at Town Hall. Jerry Morrow over Mundo Moretti, Tony Ricardo with Keith Hart, Bruce Hart going to a draw Ricky Ricard, and Harley Race retain the NWA title being Ric Flair. When and was it would Singapore be on the 18th? Or it's, after our week. it's after our week. Mm. Harley's a champion now, Bix. He ain't lost it back yet. You're right. Sorry. Brain fart. <laughs> also, look at all these Ricards. I wonder who the promoter is. Uh, well, yeah. Steve Ricard. And this is uh, this is the On the Mat promotion, right? Or at least that was the TV show. That's a TV show, yeah. Um, I don't know if it was really the promotion's name per se, but it's a TV show. It, it's how people in New Zealand refer to pro wrestling of this era, though. That's on the map. Yeah, Singapore. All right, there was a uh, Singapore date on March 23rd, which Ric Flair beat Moondal Moretti. And then the 24th, Harley beat Flair in Singapore. And the 25th, Rick got the belt back. So there you go. I'd love to know too, though, who's is it like? Who do we think booked the talent here? That it's this weird mix of Northwest slash Calgary guys, plus Flair and Luke, Grace. Luke, I, I, was, Luke I was about to say it has to be Luke, right? Luke Williams, he's working here. So yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Go ahead, Mar. What were you going to ask? I was going to say I was just going to say what happens in New Zealand stays in New Zealand. Yeah, I mean that's how it you know that's how yeah. it was. Nobody who who was gonna know. The only you reason know? people knew was because there were Japanese photographers that at least one of them. Yes, but it's never officially recognized by the NWA. So, well, not until years later. Yeah, well, yeah, long time later. All right, let's go to England now. We got a few uh, English shows here. Let's go Dale Martin Promotions. I have a show on uh, March 19th from the Assembly Rooms Marketplace in Derby, Derbyshire. We have uh, Alan Dennison versus The Rocker. And we have Alan Kilby against Drew McDonald. Ben Doon. Marty Jones and Vic Faulkner uh, uh, going against Rocky Moran and Skull Murphy. And Fit Finley defended the World Mid Heavyweight title against Ringo Rigby. Great name, Ringo Rigby. <laughs> Eleanor Rigby, Ringo, Ringo Starr. There you go. And then Royal Albert Hall on March 21st for a DMP show. Pete Roberts over Skull Murphy. Danny Collins won the British Westway title over Jim Brakes. Chick Cullen won the British Heavy Midway title over Alan Kilby. Prince Man Singh went to a no contest with Steve Logan. Keith Haywood over Mal Sanders. Ray Steele over Drew Bedotto. And Big Daddy. Teamed up with Marty Jones to beat Giant Haystacks and Fit Finley. So how about that, Bex? We got Royal Albert Hall, we got Big Daddy, that young Fit Finley. Yeah, and I, for those who don't know, I, you know, in the you know Dale Martin World of Sport Joint Promotions era, Royal Albert Hall was a regular venue. It was. You know, as much as we, if you think about it with wrestling these days, you think mainly about the one, you know, 1991 WWF show there, the Battle Royal at Albert Hall show. You know, it wasn't like it was, oh, it's too fancy for pro wrestling. No, it was a regular pro wrestling venue for years. Absolutely. So someone, oh, you know, that would, because AEW likes to do different stuff. That would be a good, I mean, I'm, I know they could draw in a bigger venue. That would be a cool place for AEW to tape TV whenever they eventually go over there. 
Yeah. Because I'm not sure anyone else could necessarily... Well, I guess if Progress could do Wembley, they could do Royal Albert Hall. But other than that... But, you know, it's just... It's different. It looks cool. It's unlike anywhere else you could run. You know, I like that kind of thing. Now, the other thing I really noticed, though, I mean, from the results, because... I hadn't really dug into these British results that have been showing up. You see the degree to which Royal Albert Hall is a super show based on the way that that circuit was booked. Because yeah. the, you know, day-to-day town hall shows that made up the vast majority of the schedule were generally one or two names from TV on top, and that was about it. This is a loaded card where basically everyone is a known wrestler from TV. Yeah. And you've got two title changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, also, well, it's I, yeah. since he brought that up, you know, a lot of people have said over the years, seeing who's holding a title and for how long, you know, without better records of what drew, is probably a good way to get an idea of who the draws were, in you know, in England in that era, because the titles were such big draws. So if someone is keeping a title for a long time, it's because that person is drawing well with that title. It's a good way to determine who's the champion, who's not. Mm-hmm. All right. Wrestling Enterprises, another promotion. They ran in Liverpool Stadium in Liverpool, Merseyside on March 16th. Mike Bennett, no, not the same one, went to a double KO with Mike Jordan, not the same one either. Tina Starr over Leather Lena. Oh, she came out to help Ben for Leather by Judas Priest. Robbie Brookside over Steve McCoy. And Big John Quinn retained his world heavyweight title, beating Wayne Bridges. Okay. Um, well, first things first, since people aren't seeing these results and he's not really a named guy, the the name of the wrestler who lost to Robbie Brookside is Steve McHoy, not Steve McCoy. For pe- since I don't know if people would be able to tell that from hearing you say the name. McCoy. McCoy as opposed to McCoy, yes. Um... Robbie Brookside would have just turned 18 about a week or so earlier. Yeah. I mean, actually, day less than a week, now that I think about it. And so any idea who's promoting this? Because wasn't the John Quinn World Heavyweight title the one that had been used in joint promotions? Uh, I don't recognize the name of the wrestling enterprises, so who knows? There's a lot of different offshoot promotions that that Rudge shows using talent that would be in the bigger promotions. Well, that's the other thing, yeah, I guess, that just because it's not a Dale Martin slash joint promotion show per se doesn't mean that they're not friendly. Yeah. The way things would be later is Brian Dixon really tries to outright, like, run against them everywhere. Yeah. All right, international promotions versus... Promotions of Verosac in Montreal. They ran the Paul Sauvé Center on March 19th. We have Leo Burke and Gino Brito Jr. over Bob and Rocky Della Serra. Bob Boucher, not the water boy, over Reggie Rapone. The Destroyer, Dick Byer, over Richard Chalon by disqualification. Tony Cannonball Parisi over Frenchie Martin. Rick Martel over Abdul the Butcher by disqualification. In our main event, Dino Bravo over... Pierre Lefebvre by disqualification. So three DQs in your top four matches. Always a good thing. Yes, including the guy who's about to wrestle at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> yeah, so uh, 
There's a little Montreal flavor for this week's show. Gonna go to Stampede. They ran the Victoria Pavilion in Calgary on March 16th. We have Hiro Saito over Timothy Flowers. Ben Bassarab and Phil Lafleur, Phil Lafon, Dan Crawford, whatever, uh, over the Cobra and the Cuban Assassin. Angel Cebedo. Cobra, of course, being George Takana. Yes, well, remember, though, here he's Ugandan. What, uh, is he Ugandan or Cambodian? Uh, his brother is Cambodian. Shinji hey. Takano is, uh, is, Cam- is the Cambodian refugee. Yes. Uh, Bret Hart and Dave Boy Smith over Carrie Brown and Mike Shaw, a.k.a. Norman McInsane. Bad News Allen over Tom Stanton. Danny Davis, Nightmare Danny Davis here. Oh, and Hubert Gallant over Mr. Hito and Sunny Two Rivers. Junji Harada as a working an Indian gimmick. British Commonwealth Midway title, Ron Starr retained over Bruce Hart. And Newsley Town for North American Midway title, Dynamite Kid retained over Killer Khan. Just headed for heading down south. Um, as we, uh, not at this point in time, I think he goes back to Japan and then heads down south. So yes. there you go. There's Calgary. That's an interesting match to try and envision Dynamite and Killer Khan in 1984. Probably a hell of a match. It's just a very odd mixture. From what aired on TV, the matches are very, seem very good, at least. Um, yeah, I mean, Dynamite worked with heavyweights, absolutely. He's Norman heavyweight champion. And you can tell from the lineups, but yeah, Chris, I think you and I have both watched the TV from this era. Oh, Holy yes. shit, is this promotion good at this time? Oh, yeah. Danny Davis is fantastic in his role here. I as, think... Chicken shit heel. I think this might, in terms of just being in the overall package, I think this Calgary singles heel run is the best of his career. Yes. And he's a tag champion, too, as we go to Edmonton on March 17th. Ben Bassar having filled the floor over the Cobra and Cuban Assassin. Gama Singh over Shunji Takano, who, at this point in time, Shunji Takano has just turned 20. Very young. Bret Hart and Davey Boy over Kerry Brown and Mike Shaw. Danny Davis and Hubert Gallant retain their international tag titles, beating Mr. Hito and Sunny Two Rivers. Ben Bass Rub over Ron Starr, and then Ben Hughes over Dynamite by disqualification. Hmm. So, Bruce Hart's version from his book of why there are so many Japanese, you know, excursion wrestlers in the territory at the time is that I believe, as he explained it, one or two of them had come in, liked it there, and Hito asked if some guys who were getting starved out in Mexico could move over to Calgary, and Bruce said yes, not realizing how many there would be. Because just if we think about around this time, I'm not even sure how many would be in the territory precisely in March 84, but who else? Hiro Saido, right? He's on the card, yeah. I'm trying to think who else. I feel like there's well, more. Ru- Russia Kimura was was coming in Well, and he's out. not on excursion, though. So. No, but still, he's there. <laughs> Um, you got you got Tarada, you got the Takanos, you got um, Saito, Saito, Hiro Saito. So yeah, those, those are the main ones. As I said, Harada, the Takanos, Hiro Saito are many of the main ones. Yes, and that's why Bruce says that he gave them all these 
weird non-Japanese gimmicks, which I guess kind of became a tradition for Japanese wrestlers to a degree in Calgary after this, was that he felt like he had too many, so he needed to make them different. So Hirosaido became South Korean, right? Yeah. Although, is he actually ethnically Korean? Yes. Okay, that's right. Um, Cobra was Ugandan, I guess, because of George's unusually dark skin for a Japanese guy. Um, Shinji became the Cambodian refugee, and Junji Harada became an Aboriginal uh, Western Canadian, who they loved apparently on the tribal land. Yeah. Even though he is... He is the most obvious fake in wrestling history, though, as far as Native American gimmicks, right? Yeah. It, like, it's kind of amazing that people bought into it. That is clearly a Japanese man with a mohawk. In a way. But but he he's not... I mean, he's not... He still... He could pass. Takano could pass if he would have his mask off. He'd be more of a, more of a guy in that gimmick than anybody else. Yeah, so, he's got he's the a, facial features to, yeah. to a degree too. Yeah, he is, is. He's he doesn't have traditional Japanese facial features in a way, so to speak. Yeah. So who? So who would the who, who would the other candidates be in the non-traditional looking native gimmick? Joe Lightfoot. Oh, for the most obvious fakes, you mean? Yeah. Joe I was Lightfoot. Just, yeah, I was just trying to think. Because we certainly have our fair share of Italians that have played uh, natives. So you know, speedy, not. speedy Tall Tree, the Renesto. Yeah. Renesto Ad, Kid played that. Yeah, Adnan. And Billy White Wolf. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess. I, I have never seen much of him as Billy White Wolf. I should look up a picture, I guess. Uh, it, looks like Adnan with, it looks like Adnan without facial hair. I mean, that's what he looks like. Yeah. So... So he yeah. looks like WFWA era Adnan, just younger. Yeah, pretty much. All right, so Tomko. Actually, wait, I just remembered one last question. Why is Cobra here, though? Since he, the, I don't think he'd be on excursion, right? It, would uh, the excursion have been yeah. when he was there in 83? He hasn't gone. I mean, he, he's just, he's there. He, he was just in the, tar- in, the, in the junior heavyweight title tournament finals, though. That was more season, I guess. I don't know. Okay. His brother's here. I would say, could he just be there visiting his brother and they asked him to work? I mean, he works it's a could, pretty could regular it... schedule, though, for a while. So I'd have, to, I'd have to look at the results to see exactly when, when most of his time was spent there. Yeah. All right. So let's go to Al Tomko in Vancouver, British Columbia on March 19th at the PE Gardens. We had J.R. Foley. Another Calgary guy going to a time of draw with a Star Rider. Star Rider and Snake Williams beat Rick Patterson in the champion. Wojo Yarenko over Moose Morosky. Athol Foley, J.R. Foley's kid, beat the Warrior. Igor Volkov over Peter Flowers. And the biker went to a time limit draw with Ole Olson. Now, Chris, you're forgetting who Athol Foley actually is, though. Go ahead. Bernie Wright, Steve's brother, or Alex's uncle. Mm-hmm. But J.R. Foley's son and gimmick, yes. Yes, and you can probably guess, even if you don't know, what the idea that Bruce Hart had with the name and what fans were chanted him was. 
Yeah. Yes. Well, I thought you were going to make an I thought you were going to make an Axel Foley Harold Faltermeyer joke there. <laughs> Before the time, actually. <laughs> That's uh, it's close. Yeah, Alpha Foley was around '83, so way before Axel Foley was. But there you go. When does when does Beverly Hills Cop come out? '84, but Alpha Foley was out, was dead. I mean, dead. Alpha Foley was around '83. I wonder if whoever wrote it was spending some time in beautiful Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Who knows? How how many films and TV shows were being shot in Calgary in that era? I, I'm, I'm guessing it's not like it is now. But... Yeah, I kind of doubt it. All right, uh, let's go to Mexico. EMLL, March the 16th. In Rio Mexico, we have Aristoteles in El Marnaca Javier Cruz over at Limus and Mr. Cobra. Estrella Blanca Jr. and Javier Llanes teamed up with Rocambole to be Animal, El Dandy, and Hombre Verde. And that is Viano 4, Rocambole. Correct. Cien Carlos Gran Cochis and Hombre Bala over El Egipcio Enfermero Jr. and MS Uno. Egipcio and MS Uno had issues leading to their defeat. Lise Mark, Real Disco Jr. and Tony Salazar defeated El Faraón, Herodes, and Supremo by disqualification when Herodes unmasked Rayo. And then our main event, O'Connor Tees, Koshinaka, and Misawa. Over Colossal Colossetti, Parato Morgan, and Tony Benetto. Tony Benetto, of course, being Graham Marcus Jr. And it's done here that the Japanese look good in their debut, though seem to struggle with the altitude and tired, tired out. Uh, I mean, it is 8,000 feet above sea level with bad air quality on top of that from pollution, although I don't know how bad that was in 84. So, yeah, that'll happen. Actually, surprising we don't hear about it happening more. Yeah, so... Um... Here's the debut of Masao and Koshinaka here in Mexico. Yes. Uh, well, it's... What is it? Ninja Koshinaka and Kamikaze Masawa? Um, eventually, but at this point in time, it's just Koshinaka Masawa. Yes, and as yeah, you've mentioned in the past, this leads to Koshinaka going to New Japan because they bring Masawa back to be Tiger Mask and just kind of forget about them, and he has trouble getting in touch with the office, and it's just like, screw it. Well, that's part of it. That's part of the problem. There's other parts of the problem, too, but that's part of the problem. So, um, so yeah. We'll have more on that next week on Between the Sheets, actually. Hmm. So there you go. All right. Um, Sunday, Arena Mexico show on March 18th. We have Aristoteles, Estrella Blanca Jr., and Escalibur. No, not that one. Over El Dandi, Limos, and Mr. Cobra. Buzz Guerrero, Jerry Estrada, and Russo Flores over Olympico Flores, Sombra Poblana, and Stuka. Atlantis, Mascar, Año Desmond, and Radisco Jr. over Spectro Jr., MSC Uno, and Satanico, Los Infernales. That's qualification. When they unmasked Atlantis, Shimoko Balaguez re- uh, retained the Mexican National Waterway title, beating Hombre Verde. And then Cachorro Mendoza over Makira Sabaje in a Caballero contra Caballero match. Huh. Hombre Verde? I didn't know that Angelo Mosca Jr. did a run under a mask in Mexico <laughs> to get some seasoning. <laughs> Green man. <laughs> he's he's too busy at Crockett at this point in time, being green man. Okay. <laughs> Putting on a figure four in a way that makes it look like he's never watched wrestling before. <laughs> All right, UWA, we got two El Torreo shows this time period to talk about. March 18th, the Sunday show. Erma Aguilar over Jorge Moreno. Los Brazos, Brazos de Oro, Brazos de Plata, No Brazos over... 
Black Terry, Jose Luis Feliciano, and Lobo Rubio, Los Temerarios. Los Mercenarios, El Signo, Negravaro, and Tejano over Anibal, El Solitario, and Viana Tercera. Dos Caras, and Enrique Vera over Fishman, and Pedro Aguayo. Or Pero challenged Vera to a, a Caballero Coach Caballero match afterwards. And then our main event for the UWA Trios titles. Black Man, Katakun Lee, and Kung Fu, Los Fantasticos. Defeated Grand Hamada, Solar, and Ultraman. Now, of course, Super Astro was supposed to be part of this match, Los Cadetes del Spacio. But when off of the show, he found that his mother had passed away. And left the meeting first home in Tijuana. Hamada replaced him in the match. Los Fantasticos took the last two falls won the titles. Just know this build, this is built as a local trio's title, as if that's a distinction from a UWA title. UWA name is just it not being used. Huh? That's what Cubs fan has here. So there you go. Okay. That's from boxing. Um. So okay, so these are actually the DF trio's titles, I guess. It's possible. Who knows? And he's just using this to distinguish them or something. They're not the UWA World Trio's titles. Is the point. Um. Well, in 1984, if you can't have Super Astro, uh, Granamata is probably your best pick. Uh, yeah. You know, pretty much. Tiny guy, incredible high flyer. Yeah. And uh, also, there are not many better lucha matches on paper in 1984 than that main event. Yes. I mean, those two Technico trios and a title match main event? Whew. Mm hmm. All right, the Wednesday show at the 21st, on the 21st at El Torreo, we have Lo Monster, Lola Gonzalez and Torreson Moreno, Vachela Salazar, Patero Sardegna, and Fiki Carranza, El Facón, El Patriarca, and Hulk 78 over Abdullah Tamba, Flama Azul, and Scorpio. Los Vianos, 1, 3, and 4 over uh, Black Terry, Jose Luis Feliciano, and Lobo Rubio. Los Fantasticos, Black Man, Katakan Lee, and Kung Fu retain their UWA Trios titles over Anibal, El Solitario, and Zandakan. Yoda Santo went to a draw with Negro Casas in a UWA lightweight title match where they had a double pinfall in the third match. No, I felt like it went for Santo. Big chance for him after the match. Well, I'm sure that was a hell of a match. And our main event, Signo, Negro and Tejano over Babyface, Fishman, and Pedro Aguayo. So, yeah, you get Santo and Casas here in 1984. I mean, good Lord, they're, they're so young. And God knows, you know, what that was like point in time because we've seen them later on how they were imagine when they're babies because San- santo is still 20 here well he just started and using the gimmick too negrocasis is 24 so and even man. though he's older isn't fuerza also in the mix with them well fuerza ain't that much older than them let me see how old fuerza is fuerza is already in his mid-30s isn't he he's 30 he's 30 Okay. He's third. Okay. He's Same. a little younger than I remembered. Well, yeah, he's not that much older, but still, he's 30. So. Yes. And uh, I guess as a consequence of the mean babies, too, they're fighting over the lightweight title and not the welterweight title. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's also so. interesting to see names that we are still seeing in 2022 on this card. You know, <laughs> ter- Terry, Solar, Negro Navarro. Casas. You know, in Casas, it's like, you know, it's you know, Viano Four. Uh, I think yeah. still hanging around. I it's, know. Just, it's amazing. I know it's, it's wild. At Satanico was on, you know, the other 
you know, was on yeah. the CML show. So it's like yeah. amazing. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy how some of these guys can still still go after all these years. But anyway, all right, that's it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So after some great 1984 commercials, which should be great, we'll return uh, to halftime. Well, we'll talk about our Patreon. We'll hit the plugs. And then we'll come back and go back to the territories of the United States. Where we'll talk about Ricky Steamboat making his return to Jim Carr Promotions. A major upset on uh, World Championship Wrestling. We have uh, stuff from Florida, Memphis, and so much more. After the break. Burger King wants to know, have you had your salad today? Well, take this simple test. Do you recognize this vegetable? When's the last time you saw one of these? Does this ring a bell? No? Then come to the Burger King salad bar and see what's new. Three bean salad. Jello. Pasta salad. So next time you want a more memorable salad, come to the Burger King Salad Bar. All you have to remember is this. Sophisticated Epson, so easy to use. Sophisticated Epson will never confuse. Fascinating Epson can run all of these. Fascinating Epson, as long as you please. Epson personal computers prove that sophisticated should not be difficult. Run complex business programs at the flick of a finger. Now get $600 worth of business software or MS-DOS compatibility plus a $179 modem free. Central Americans, March in D.C. tonight, Channel 4 News at 11. This is the NBC Television Network. You can Portions of NBC Live Theater are being brought to you tonight by Team Xerox. The right products and the right people, all working together. In one moment, live Act One of Mr. Roberts. Greenfield Village. Looks like a typical small town, wouldn't you say? With its small hardware store, its small clothing store, small post office, and small people with small ideas. Oh, you don't think so? Well, Xerox doesn't think so either. They've never liked the word small. They much prefer growing. And Xerox thinks that a growing business should be treated just as well as a more established business. They've even formed a team of machines and people to help businesses of all sizes. It's called Team Xerox. Yes, I know. You think Xerox is just doing it for themselves? Well, they probably wouldn't disagree. You see, they feel that somewhere in a little shop like this, they might find the same kind of growing businessman that started right here. And did he have a big idea? The right information in the right place at the right time with the right team to make them all work together from Xerox. A boomtown gone bust. IDS American Express has never cottoned to get-rich-quick schemes. The best investment is to sit down, one-to-one, -one, with a knowledgeable person you can trust and work out a long-term financial plan. It's a chance to prosper without going bust. Sit down with an IDS American Express planner. It could be the best investment you'll ever make. 
Hey, here's Better Cheddar's Crackers, San Francisco style. Mmm, Better Cheddar's. Sourdough baked right in. Delicious tasting Better Cheddar's. The San Francisco style. Snack thin. Nabisco takes the great taste of cheddar, bakes in real sourdough, so you get Better Cheddar's. Light, thin, delicious. Ooh, Better Cheddar's. The San Francisco style. Snack thin. Better Cheddar's. Nabisco. I hit a home run today, but I got all dirty sliding into the base. And Mom says I need a good cleaning. She says detergent sends on softener start out cleaning, but they let this icky dirt in wash water get back on me again. So Mom uses Yes detergent because Yes keeps wash water dirt off me. So I come out real clean, real soft, too. But it's no fun staying clean. Yes keeps wash water dirt off clothes, leaving them clean and soft. This live production retains the salty language of the original Broadway play. Now there's a marathon with many competitors but no competition. The Xerox 1045 Marathon Copier. It's so advanced in design, it can be adapted to run eight different ways. So intelligent, it can think for itself. And so rugged, it can run hour after hour. The Xerox 1045 Marathon Copier. Built to shatter the record for endurance from Team Xerox, official sponsor of the 1984 Olympics. All right, we're back. Happy and Joe's great 1984 commercials on our halftime segment as we pivot to the plugs. And let's talk about patreon.com slash between the sheets, where, yes, we have now finished recording the show for the month of March. As we go back 35 years to talk about WrestleMania 3. And what was the tagline of that show, Bex, again? Bigger. Better. Badder. Yes. So, uh, and it is all that. So, yeah, we, so we did the show and we went uh, all the way back to 1986 to the early planning stages of it and all the way to uh, the show itself. And we had a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Talking about the uh, build to the show involving uh, Andre the Giant turning heel and the Saturday Night Main events that uh, built it up with Hogan and Norndorf in the cage and then the Battle Royal in Detroit. And we talked about uh, everything involving that, plus uh, Roddy Piper and Adrian Adonis. Talk about that. Talk about a Savage and Steamboat and the build and all that. And we have uh, a lot of articles the week of Mania from the Detroit area. Talk about the business side of it and everything going on there. And it's a very, very interesting look at how how everything was going with the planning stages as far as food. I mean, a real in-depth article on food and concessions. Also, an in-depth piece about how the uh, people that were preparing for the Pope's visit later that year was uh, watching how everything was being done. Yes. For uh, WrestleMania, the planning stages, and how they were going to implement those ideas into their planning for the Pope. So a lot of interesting business side of things to talk about, not just uh, wrestling related. So well, I thought it was a really fun show. Go ahead. And that includes too, like, you know, we have that article from Crane's Detroit Business that goes into with some attendance figures, you know, something that we knew about, but we get some more specifics, just how hot they were in Michigan from Detroit to the smaller markets. And then also just basically everywhere surrounding Michigan. 
You know, mm-hmm. there, we go into a lot just why this was the perfect place to run the show and, you know, all the other stuff about like how there's no pay-per-view in closed circuit in Michigan to stimulate the live attendance. And of course, we get into the various attendance debates and why both of us at least are pretty sure at this point that even if 93,173 is not a real number, that there were clearly a lot more than 78,500 people there, including a very curious uh, notice about the advance in the Observer about two weeks out, how that fits yeah. into all that. And mm-hmm. uh trying to think. I feel like there's a few more things. Um, and, and, and we pretty much debunk maybe the myth of Paul Londor being the backup choice for uh, Andre at WrestleMania, considering what his situation was at the yeah. time. Health related. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really interesting show, different show than what we've done lately, and which is always a good change of pace. So everybody go check that out. Patreon.com slash sheets, $5 a month gets you access to that. And all the shows that we have done in our five plus years of our Patreon and we'll go ahead and announce it now. We didn't announce it at the end of the uh, Patreon show. So you'll so it's going to be announced now before well, I, will the Patreon show drop by the time they're hearing this if you're listening on Monday. Um a, I'm going to try question. if if not up by okay. Monday then probably up like later Monday early Tuesday. Okay. All right. So the Patreon show probably won't be up yet. But so anyway, when you hear it this announcement's already been made. But anyway, we will, uh, for the month of April, and uh, those of you that have been watching Twitter this past week has seen a big spo- uh, tweet a lot about this, and we talked about this on a main show lately, the beginning of it. But yes, in April, we're going to do the WIO Scandals of 1992. All Titan of them. Titan Gate. So we'll have... Uh, We'll have the Patterson-Garvin stuff, the Mel Phillips stuff, the steroid stuff, everything that's involving the WWF. This is not a centralized thing on just, you know, the Ring Boys, what have you. I mean, it's everything that's going on. And we're going to, you know, go from where we basically left off on the main show when Patterson and Garvin resigned. was maybe some stuff that we didn't have in the main show uh, to set the table. And we'll go on through. Of course, you know we'll discuss Donahue again. I know that's a very popular thing to talk about. So, well, we just celebrated the you know the 30th anniversary the day before we were recording this halftime. Yeah, so I can't. I, I, I always like to hear that stuff. And then we'll have everything else that comes into that. And of course, including the steroid stuff with you know Ultimate Warrior and Davy eventually being fired and Road Warrior Hawk and all the stuff going on there. Yeah. So basically, we're going to well, go through. Well, if we're trying to go through. November. This is probably going to be at least two parts, probably more. That's what, that's, that's what I'm saying. So, th- yeah, th- this will be this will be probably a two part show, which is great. That's fine. Maybe even I'm three. Gonna, possible, possible. Chris, at you forget two. how long some of that stuff gets in that. At, at least two. Yes. At least two. So, and yes, it's only 1992. We're not going into the steroid trial and none of that stuff. It's or the Mosnick lawsuit, or the Geraldo lawsuit. Exactly. We're I mean, focusing- well, I'll be citing stuff that I got from those lawsuits, but we're not going to be talking about the lawsuits well, or anything like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, we're not going to go, you know, past 92. So, um, yeah, that should be a hell of a show. And uh, we've done a lot of, you know, shows kind of similar to this in recent years. So this ought to be uh, one of the best ones we've done. So can't wait to record that. But anyway... Listen to everything we've put out so far, $5 a month at patreon.com slash between the sheets. 
dollar a month gets you access to the Discord thanks in this segment, which we're doing just in a second. $25, let's pick a show for the week. Now make sure you pick a show that uh, we haven't done already or have a backup choice handy if, if you have a show in mind that we may have done or a week somebody else may have uh, picked on the calendar as we have some weeks built up in the in the bank. So you know, always have that uh, have two shows in your mind just to be safe on that. And if there's any questions about that, then just get in touch with one of us and we'll try to help you. And of course, follow the Patreon uh, protocol on the website to get that information to Bix, which means uh, before 30 days of your show, 10-year rule in effect, Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline, this, that, and the other. So you do all that, and you should be good to go. $50 license in for a segment of the show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show, as Mark Cole has done for this show, if you so choose. And next week, David Davis will be doing, which we'll talk about that in a minute. So uh, patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Big Suda, I think this week is our new and or returning patrons. All right, yes, let's see who is subsidizing what is sure to be an expensive Duran Duran ticket purchase tomorrow. Uh, let's see. <laughs> oh, I have not gone through Ticketmaster for anything since the pandemic. Um, so, yeah, I have not witnessed the new insane fees personally. So I'm very prepared to get some sticker shock tomorrow when the pre-sale starts because hmm. like aren't people seeing more and more now like fees that are like like 50 percent of face value or more and stuff now i wouldn't even think i'm going to a concert these days for various reasons but it's duran duran chris how many times have you seen duran duran two or three okay well <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's going to be a, good, a great well, show. Well, and, and, and Nile Rodgers. It's not like you haven't seen him before. No, well, and Nile Rodgers with Sheik is the uh, support, too. Which, I, yeah, Sheik these days is basically just Nile Rodgers and a new band, but that's because everyone well, else is course. dead. Well, he has a name. Yes. And they, they're great, though. They were, they, they were the sure support they the last time <laughs> I saw Duran Duran, actually. I'm sure they are great. Yeah. Anyway, we would like to thank Jesse Phillips. Thanks, Jesse. Nate, I don't know if it's... I think he's been on here before, but I forget if it's Morin or Marin. M-O-R-N. Nate. Rob Page. Thanks, Rob. Guessing this isn't a real name, but a Dak Wrestleford. Thanks, Dak. I, Should be in the room. Well, I'm assuming that... Uh, I mean... I wouldn't say if I dove into it, but I'm assuming that's not uh, David Harwood or anything, anyone like that. Because uh, Dak and Dax, but whatever. Um, and we've got two annuals. We've got uh, Tanner Wilbanks did a one-year subscription. Thanks, Tanner. And Nick Friends, who went from a monthly to an annual. Thanks, Nick. And yeah, we haven't mentioned that in the past couple of weeks. Uh, talk about that, how you could go annual between the sheets. Yes, that's right. We don't always remember. Uh, if you want to pay in advance and do an annual subscription, you save 16%. So for the you know $5 tier that most people do, instead of 60 bucks a year, if you pay it up front, that's $50.40 a year because you can't set a direct price. You have to do it by percent off and it's up to 16%. So Fifty dollars and forty cents. Even though, you know, most people in other places would like Substack, they would just do it as fifty. But whatever. So yes, you have that option at Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. 
All right. IWTV, Bix. What's going on there? All right. Let's see. So, um, looks like not really any new archival stuff added this week. It's mainly the on-demand versions of the stuff from the live streams this past weekend, or at least, you know, as we're recording. Little backlogged. I have not seen any of this stuff yet. Did not catch any of the live streams, even even from the ones I've been watching a lot of lately, like uh, West Coast Pro and Prestige. But you know, West Coast Pro and Prestige had their you know weekend of back to back shows co promoted with each other. There's a new ICW No Holds Barred, which was at the uh, TWE Arena in beautiful Red Bank, Tennessee, of course. And uh, also there was a Beyond show featuring, I guess, as the main match, the return of Angel Ortiz, uh, Ortiz from Santa Ana and Ortiz. They really need an official team name again, by the way. But uh, he takes on yeah. Jonathan Gresham. Say that again? I said, yeah. They were going to be proud and powerful, and then they just stopped and weren't really. Uh, I didn't like that name. I don't think it really clicked either, and I I kind of get why they didn't go back to EYFBO. Just come up with some. They I mean, they come well, up. And now they're with Kingston again, but they can't be LAX. So I'd, I'd like them to have some kind of team. Though. It, it just, there's something about calling them just Santana and Ortiz that feels off. But anyway. Yeah, so, so it was 80s, late 70s and 80s WF. Yeah. Grian Martel. Grian Zabisco. Gurion Calhoun. <laughs> yeah, something like that, you know? Just Petsky and Santana. Yes. Which, by the way, I I have not actually watched any of their, like, indie single stuff since they started taking indie dates again. I'm curious to see it, because it, it is interesting that I don't think they're taking any indie dates as a team, right? I don't know. I haven't seen anything. Everything I've seen has been singles, and, and until this, it was just Santana singles but i guess ortiz is doing singles you know bookings out as well which it's interesting and it's also a way i guess to feel like you're not undermining the aew stuff in any way by only taking bookings on indies as singles right uh, get that, they're, that. they're branching out they're doing some different stuff i don't know which is cool to see i mean they're both very talented but also like the you know so much of their experiences as tag teams that you know why not go off on the indies and do some cool matches and showcase what you can do on your own yeah so that's the big thing on there and then yeah as we record this this coming weekend you know once this is out this past weekend we've got some live streams up including looking okay without a Cause as a show, does it say where in the Northwest this is? Not on the IWTV page, at least. That would have live streamed on Friday night. And I guess the most notable things on there are Kevin Blackwood versus Sonico. And Nick Wayne versus Adam Brooks, which I guess that's the Australian Adam Brooks, right? I don't think there's another Adam Brooks, is there? I think so. So that's an interesting match there. Not one I would have expected to see, but... Oh, wait, I just realized. It's Mania season, so of course he's coming in for an extra few weeks. Because he's, yeah, been, a, he's been a staple of Mania weekend for... Going back to, I guess, whatever year it was that RevPro first ran with WrestleCon, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a cool match over there. And also, uh, PWX has a show 
you know, now this coming weekend, the 26th, the Saturday, where they've got their annual X16 tournament, the first uh, night. Oh, excuse me. It is, it's back to back. Yeah. So Friday and Saturday, they have their X16 tournament. Uh, first round is the Friday. Excuse me. No, it's Saturday and. Oh, no. It, okay. It's two shows on the same day. One afternoon, one evening. That's what it is. So they've got 16-man tournament, including Chip Day versus Jordan Oliver, Drew Adler versus ACH, Lindsay Dorado versus Ethan Case, Bojack versus John Davis in your designated Haas fight, Anthony Henry versus David Ali, Mason Miles versus uh, Wheeler, Utah, Savannah Evans versus Effie, and I only match with people I don't really know, uh, Alexander Moss versus Lucky Ali. So that's a pretty solid-looking pair of shows there from PWX, who always puts on a pretty entertaining product. So yes, if you want to check all that out and you're not already a subscriber, go to independentwrestling.tv and use code BTSPOD and we will get a little bit of a referral bonus each for, excuse me, for each month as long as you stay a paid subscriber. So independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. And with everything, all this stuff is linked and explained in the show notes slash show description each week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. All right. Please never DM me or Chris asking what our link is or what the code is. Please. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Um, and uh, we got private internet access fix, the number one uh, internet VPN. So uh, talk about them again. You mean the uh, fastest VPN according to PC Mag? That's right. Yes. Let me. Did I? Hold on, this is the wrong email thread that I opened it that has the copy. Uh, oh, there it is. Because they prefer, for understandable reasons, for this to be read from when at all possible. Uh, Between the Sheets is, of course, brought to you by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network, or VPN. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data, and many times even selling it. But our friends at PIA can help. They encrypt and reroute your internet traffic through one of their own servers, hiding your data from your ISP or your network admin if you're at work. And with servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geo-blocked content around the world. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. PIA comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by, like we said, PC Mag. And if you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets, this time I'm actually going to make sure I have it directly in front of me to have the exact details, then you get more than 80, excuse me, I've read that wrong. You get 83% off the top prices now if you buy what's what they call three years plus four months subscription for 79 bucks you get 40 months, which comes out to a $1.98 a month. And you can't get a bigger, better deal than that, especially among the bigger name VPNs. So if you're in that, I don't know why I can't talk all of a sudden. <laughs> if you're on the lookout for subscribing to a new VPN, definitely check out Private Internet. Why? Did I say private in? I think you're worrying too much about what you're saying. Just read it. I am. No, it's. I just, I'm getting tongue-tied for some reason. If you're in the market for a new VPN, privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets. Like we said, with the best deal, less than $1.98 a month. Although we should also mention, if you want to do one year, 
that's thirty nine ninety five, which is still a pretty damn reasonable three thirty three a month. So, privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, as I mentioned in the plug in the earlier plug, it is another Patreon request show by David Davis, and we're, he's going to be with us as we go back to nineteen eighty five. And we're going to be doing the build to WrestleMania 1, basically, on that show. So uh, a lot of stuff there. It's going to be a week plus, basically 11 days. So over a week and a half to talk about uh, on next week's show. As we'll have World Wrestling Federation. As we go grocery shopping with Paul Hogan and Mr. T before WrestleMania. We'll also have a very interesting interview on Tuesday Night Titans uh, with Vince and Andre the Giant. Which uh, kind of well, what, what, it's it, interesting is all the word I'll say for it because it, it went a little on an odd course <laughs> after something Vince Man said. So we'll have that, and we'll have clips from the territories. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about uh, Mid South TV, which you know, we talked about this week how strong it is. Next uh, next week's show is re- we really talk about how strong it is. Then we got Randy Savage and Tux Newman in Memphis running wild. We got uh, Magnum TA winning the U.S. title from Welcome at Daniel, uh, in front of one of the hottest crowds you'll ever hear. And uh, we got a lot on next week's show. And of course, Japan, big things going on in Japan. In fact, the biggest thing in wrestling goes on in Japan during our week as Bruiser Brody debuts in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And we have the full rundown of how that happened and why, and why it happened. And there's some very interesting uh, stuff in there from the Observer, from the Japanese wrestling section, regarding uh, how all Japan felt about this. So, uh, very interesting show next week. Should be really fun. So, uh, check that out when it drops next Monday. All right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper, BT Sheets Pod. Bix, at David Bix. And uh, Bix, you always got something going on. So, what's going on in your world this week? All right, let's see when. Okay, I think when we did last time, yeah, my fanbite article about the AW pay per view main event, I think, already was up. Um, I should have something up with probably within the next few days, if not sooner. Uh, kind of was trying to figure out what we could do about Scott Hall and decided to write something kind of about the click and how kind of their, I think we're seeing now their legacy should be a lot more about their friendship and less about uh well i want their... i want i want to talk about scott well let me just so... finish what i was saying real quick okay. and you know and maybe less about the political maneuverings and stuff than it used to be not that it's not part of it but you know when you look at just the chemistry those guys had in the ring with each other that was so different from most of the other people they worked with and now we see how, you know, the other guys and even, you know, just other people who worked with him are talking about, you know, Scott Hall since his passing. Um, I, I, I think it, they deserve a little bit of a reevaluation. So that's kind of kind of I haven't written the whole thing yet, but that's kind of where I'm going with that. And uh, yeah, I do have something about Drake Wirtz bullshit at and Substack, babyfacevheel.com, but just wanted to throw that real quick since I don't think we're going to talk more about much of anything after this. So yes, let's talk about Scott Hall. Scott Hall, of course, uh, tragically passed away on um, Monday. 
on the uh, 14th of March. And, um, he, I mean, good Lord, we, we talked about so many times in the show all the issues that he had over the last uh, 25 years, basically, of his life. Battling addictions and all that stuff. And it's a shame that he went through all those problems when he did because... You know, when he first goes WCW at Scott Hall, him and Kevin Nash, I mean, good Lord, they're on top of the world. You know, NWO and Hogan and all that stuff. And then as his problems start to get the best of him, he's still around, but he's not around. He's gone for a while, and then he'll come back, and he's gone for a while, and then he'll come back. And it, it just, it really feels like, in a way that, you know, his 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 issues with his addictions robbed everybody, him, the fans, and wrestling in general, of what could have been an extremely memorable run if he was able to, you know, stay on the right track and not have. I mean, who knows how different the NWO arc is if Scott Hall doesn't have his issues, you know, and. It's just it shows you what those things can do to people. I mean, and it's just not their. Per, I mean, not professional, just a, just professional. Their whole personal life, you know. I mean, I see it. I've seen it a lot myself, and with different people in my personal life, and, and just people that I know, and see seeing how drugs and alcohol can, you know, totally affect somebody's life trajectory you know in, in, in many ways um but the, the good thing was he got clean and he had a you know a miraculous comeback from all those years of uh battling his addictions and it seemed like he was finally on on, on the on the good way and then his health problems started happening and, and you know and that's you know and that's the problem you know and and, and bret hart wrote a great uh, op-ed about Scott and talked about how maybe that 300 day a year lifestyle wasn't too kind for us and I mean think about how wrestling is now and think about how it was back then as far as you know travel work and Brett bring, and, and well Brett and bring, Chris don't forget in the hour we're talking about the WWF ring there's that too but I'm just saying but working in general yeah. I mean that life, and, and I know people say, well, the they did the territories. Well, the territories, they didn't have to travel such long distances and stuff. And a lot of territories, they could still go home each night. But you look at you look at how the WF was with their hectic scheduling for those, all those years, and you look and see what, how those guys ended up with all the problems they had, early deaths, addictions, physical problems. I mean... It really is wild to think about that because, I mean, you, you look at, I mean, that's the thing. The, the guys from the territories, they lived a longer life than the guys that were prevalent in the late 80s and 90s WF. Yes. You know, that's the thing. And, and, I mean, and they were living hard lives too, but again, they were closer to home. Yeah, they may not have had off days, so to speak, but still, they were able to go home every night just about. And you know, without all the flights, even when you had long trips, 
at least you're on the road with your friends and bonding, you know, for so much of that time. Yeah, and it's just those guys had such a hard time, and that contributes that contributes to a lot of the issues with pain meds and drugs and stuff that the guys alcohol and the guys that stuff were on to try to numb what they were going through. And but, you know, and we should say with Scott Hall too. You know, though it seems like definitely, besides having a support system, it does seem like getting into better physical condition and being able to manage his pain better certainly helped. He had a lot of trauma from his past, with the big one being, you know, what he was diagnosed with PTSD over, which was the self-defense shooting from when he was working as a bouncer. Before he was in the wrestling business, yeah. And he talks about it. He, he talked about that, you know. He's talked about that a, a lot over in recent years. He finally was able, able to talk about it, you know. I mean, and that's like Scott Hall. I mean, he got in the wrestling business at a later age, you know. He, he was a rookie when he was uh, t- 25 years old. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's still kind of young. Not super late, but more Steve Austin-y, I guess, would be the way to put it. Yeah, it's not, it, yeah, but for for that era, you know, guys were getting started in their early 20s. And 25 is not old, but still, it's it's not as young as other guys are getting into it. And he didn't become a star, though. I mean, he he became a star, it's the, he became a star in two set, in, different incarnations. He became, you know, he was a, mag, a star in the magazines as a... Coyote Scott Hall, Magnum and the Scott AWA, Hall, Magnum Scott Hall, you know AWA Super Push, Team Tag Champions of Kurt Henning, you know he had that look, and and, the, and after magazines loved him to death, and then he faded out the face of the earth, comes back, in a total different reincarnation as a Diamond Stud, and then Razor Ramon, and I mean it was so different, it was kind of he was kind of like the modern Austin Idol. Where Austin Idol had a career as Mike McCord, where he worked at you know a lot of big territories, and then he was a plane heel in the WWF. Yeah, he, he plane crash happened. He, he he comes back, different look, whole different physique, everything, and it's just a, a totally different person. And so you wouldn't even really consider, hey, this guy and this guy are not are the same guy. I mean, Scott Hall, he changed his look so much where if you didn't know, you did. I mean, you would have thought they were not the same person. So the fact that he was able to have two separate careers like that and be v- very successful. And then, yeah, he was not a, he was definitely not a great worker in his younger days, but that guy got so good, you know, from Puerto Rico and Europe and he got so good and uh, became one of the, the better workers, you know, in his prime of his era in, in, in America, you and, know, and the, I mean, I would go, I would go as but, to far as to say, he deserves a lot more credit for shaping what became the modern WWE style, too. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and as far as the Razor Ramon gimmick and how he, t- he made that, what it was, and this, the way, his w- work in big matches. He was a big match worker. You know, when Tank came to for the big matches, he went out there and, and had a hell of matches. And... Then of course he goes to WCW and WO. I mean they changed the game there. He he just he, he he was so influential in so many different ways in the business, but he wasn't the guy who got all the credit because people talk about you know they'll talk about Nash and Sean more than they'll talk about Scott. 
until Scott's death. And then you see everybody coming out and talking about Scott this, Scott that, and how influential he was to, to them and everything. And it's just like, that's Scott, you know? I mean, he, he was never the guy, but he was always an extremely important piece to the puzzle. Yes. And yeah, he, he just... He, he he's so memorable in so many different ways, and and he was uh, yeah. Did the click do their things backstage? Did they have politics? Yes, but Scott Hall's a selfless dude. Yeah, I mean, well, okay. Let's, talk- let me. I mean, here's what I want to say to make this perfectly clear. I mean, like, let's twofold, and I know one of the things you were about to get to. One, and I tweeted this earlier in the week, and I, I could tell that's where you're going. Boy, he does not get close to enough credit to, for what he did for Sean Wallman. No. I mean, think about the context. May 1993, that is right when Scott Hall becomes this great worker and is finally really fulfilling the potential that everyone has said he's had for over eight years. You know, pretty much eight and a half years at that point. Yeah, he came, he's coming off the role of Marshall Brett. I mean, he's he's really, you know, becoming one of the top heels in the business. Yes. And still, he, think about this. He's putting over an indie light heavyweight skinny dude who had been presented explicitly as a job guy for weeks on TV. And in a way that was not made to look like a fluke either. In the WWF. Yes. <laughs> Which, again, I mean, still at that point in time, not the territory for these smaller guys. And, and Waltman was very small in this era. Yeah, skinny wise, you know, he's always been a tall guy, but yeah, you know, it's only recently that he's kind of jacked, and even then, he's still, even now with the shape Sean's in, he's still slim, you know. But you know, there's that. But also, think about everything for a second. All the bad Scott Hall stories that we've ever heard. Is there a single one that where he's not loaded and off the wagon? No, I can't Scott think Hall, of any. Yeah, yeah, Scott Hall's sober. You don't hear anything, and everybody, and everybody that when he died, all the people that were contemporaries, or or even you know indie wrestlers in recent years, which Scott's been clean, but you know even even though I mean everybody's talking about glowing about Scott and how he was as a man, as a person. Yeah. How, I mean, what the John was, was, you know, like what our dear friend John Thorne tweeted on the AIW account that. Um, when he did, they did, they did a signing and appearance at a show with him, but it was a flight split with someone else. I forget exactly where, but the AIW students were driving him the whole weekend and he paid for all of the gas and every single meal that everyone else ate because that's what vets do. Yeah. And, and another, another guy too, which I, I, you know, I'm glad that, you know, this, this came out this week. And another guy that he did that to in a fucking another part of the world, a dude named Hiroshi Tanahashi. I had completely forgotten about that until people started talking about it. He did. I mean, he did a clean job for Hiroshi Tanahashi in 2001 when Tanahashi was, you know, a, a young guy who was starting to make make a name for himself. But he was still like he was the other guy in a tag team with Kenzo Suzuki, basically. But, I mean, the fact that he, Scott Hall, saw what this guy could do, saw that he had potential to be something, 
and did that for him. I mean, Tanahashi on the New Japan Cup show after Scott's death, during his entrance, did a Razor Ramon tribute to him, uh, the, the glide down the aisle. That shows you how much that meant to Tanahashi. 21 years later. Well, we should be specific, too. Hall volunteered to do it. Yes, he volunteered to do it. Because he saw what this guy could do. He saw that this guy could use that. Yes. And And he did. Now, it was a little more fluky. It's that he's doing a promo and gets schoolboyed. But. Well. Well, here's where I'm going with this, though. Some of this is just that it's New Japan style. It doesn't look necessarily like one of those kind of fluky, I didn't really put you over jobs. Because he's working with a New Japan trained guy who makes that pin look as tight as possible. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, people can say, well, he that, that's what he did with Hector Garza. Or with Jericho, yeah. Yeah, but still, I mean, Tanahashi thing, it was different in that way. But, but yeah, Scott, I mean, he's just, it's a shame that, that it's like what, I mean, look at how great of a career he had, but to know what could have been. Yes. The guy could have been world champion. I, we've talked about how I, I forget if it's the immediate aftermath or after a couple months when it's clear that the diesel title runs not working but wait keller wrote a whole thing in the torch about like wait a second if you wanted to hot shot the world title onto someone new why didn't you just put it on razor remote yes yeah it's just that simple i mean imagine razor and imagine and think about the storyline Razor and Sean at, at WrestleMania one year later do the ladder match again. It's kind of like what you do at SummerSlam, but do it at WrestleMania. Yeah. I mean, think about how that, I mean, that could have been amazing. And also, but, on that note, too, let's put it to bed once and for all. I know it's at this point people don't really believe it, but still, there's the Ric Flair line and stuff about the night that Shawn Michaels had a match with a ladder and also Scott Hall was there. Well, watch the matches, those... Well, A... Well, no, when we covered, I think it was WrestleMania 10... Was it the week of Mania 10 that we covered? Where we pointed out the just how great Hall's performance is in that match? Yeah. Like, you watch that. Like, Sean does the spectacular spots. Hall is clearly the one holding the match together. I, I think Rick was still... Had some bitterness towards Scott. Well, yes, yes, but... Also, which though, which like, Rick, Rick Rick gave a nice uh, yeah. nice th- nice th- uh, tribute on Twitter about Scott, and he did. But what I was going to say though too is watch the Sean Razor non ladder matches, especially the one from the August first ninety four Raw. Yeah, <laughs> and well, and also the you know the tag with Diesel and Waltman too from Action Zone, oh, which yeah, by the way, for some reason is only on Daily Motion. Like I don't know why, but it, no one. No one that has a channel has it on YouTube right now for whatever reason. But, like, they had that chemistry without the ladder. For sure. Well, the click always had chemistry together. Well, that yeah, that's the, what I was getting at earlier. Like, there are exceptions, but they had, you know, a lot of their best matches are with each other. Yeah. So, it's a shame that Scott died at a young age, you know, and uh, it's sad how it happened. But it, it, at least, you know, like, like like I was saying, at least he got to have a rebirth yeah. over the last 10 years or so and was able to enjoy his life that he did have. You know, two-time Hall of Famer, you know, NWO and as Razor Ramon. He got to experience that. And, 
yeah, it's just a good thing that he he was able to go through that renaissance again where people could talk about him in glowing terms and not and not have a situation where he died and all you're talking about is man, what a tra- what a tragedy. And that what this guy could have done so much more, which he could have, but the fact that at least that he got to lead, you know, a a really good quality of life mainly over these last few years and got to, you know, go out to these independent promotions and, and do these, you know, appearances and, you know, just endear himself to a new generation of wrestling talent. Well, and don't forget also guest coaching at the Performance Center a bunch of times too, where, you know, people who were there for that were just raving about how great a teacher he was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So recipe Scott Hall, you will definitely be missed. Yeah. And I did want to add though, too, just that, just on that last note you had, I mean, it's also, I forget who I saw say this on Twitter, but they were right. If DDP had not reached out to him when he did, and Hall had not gone along with it, he was on the verge of drinking himself to death real soon. Oh, he would have been dead. Yeah. Like, he, it, I mean, it, I, the person I saw a tweet this didn't make that comparison, but in a weird way to me, it's almost like a Matt Capitelli type of thing. I mean, where, you know, his cancer ended up coming back, but if not for the, and you know, again, it's not the same situation at all, but still it's what it made me think of. If not for him getting a concussion on a chair shot and getting a MRI as a result, he probably would not have had his brain tumor diagnosed until he had symptoms and he would not have had that extra decade of life. And he had a pretty good quality of life until the cancer came back, all things considered. So, you know, it's it's a blessing that he was able to get his, that's Hall was able to get his shit together enough that he had the, this last decade or so. Absolutely. Well, on that note, let's get back to the rest of the show. Let's go to Jim Crockett Promotions now as we return. Ricky Steamboat made his return from a two-month retirement, which is part All Japan Tour, and taking time off to work at his gym to take Ric Flair to a 60-minute draw for the NWA title. Jim Crockett, in an angle, then offered Steamer $10,000 to come back, and he couldn't turn it down. Let's talk about this show, and then we'll talk about uh, Steamboat's return. 15129 at Greensboro Coliseum. Well, Chris, a there's a d- detail missing here. Uh, this March 17th show is the Boogie Jam, available on the award-winning WWE Network. Which Dave Rosen doesn't even talk about that. That it's a named show that they made a big deal out of? No, he does not. He doesn't, he doesn't like Jimmy Valiant. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's probably why. He does not like Jimmy Valiant, yeah. Tully Blanchard over Dory Funk Jr. in your opening match. Rufus R. Jones over Ernie Ladd. JYD, Angelo Mosca, and Angelo Mosca Jr. over the great Kabuki, Ivan Koloff, and Gary Hart. Mark Youngblood and Wahoo Daniel over Don Cronulla and Bob Borton Jr. And in Air vs. Mass, Paul Jones tied to Dusty Rhodes at ringside. Jimmy Valiant over Assassin 2, revealing Hercules Hernandez. Oh, and that's not a match they would do anywhere else. <laughs> In multiple territories, yes. And then, of course, we have um, a no-DQ steel cage match for the U.S. Heavyweight title. Dick Slater retained over Greg Valentine. That's, this is Greg's swan song. And then Rick going to a 60-minute draw. Rick Flair, 60-minute draw, Ricky Steamboat. Okay, I 
never had it in me for whatever reason to devote the hour to watch this match, even when the Steamboat DVD came out with it. I know the consensus is that of the, like, 70s and 80s Flair Steamboat matches we have on video, it is the least of them. Um, I guess. I mean, I thought it was a hell of a fucking match. So, I mean, <laughs> it is what it is, but... I mean, I thought the the crowd was great for it. Um, yeah, I thought it was a, a very strong match. Have you watched the full show on the network? Um, yeah, I watched it a long time ago. Um, I'd be curious to check I, out the main event, the U.S. title, and the uh, Youngblood's Colonel Norton in particular. Yeah, I mean, the Meadowlands match is better. I will say that. Well, it's about half the length. <laughs> that's part of it too, I guess. So there is that. Does that uh, fall in your? Does that fall in your? What's your least favorite flavor of ice cream? <laughs> you know, it's still. I at the end of the day, it's still ice cream. Yes. <laughs> I feel like that applies more to pizza than ice cream, though. I don't know. Anyway. All right. So let, let me let's talk about this show. Jimmy Valiant. Winning the Mask of Assassin number two, Hercules, unmasking, and uh, yeah, I mean, this was a big, big angle. It traveled to the territories, and um, it, D- Dusty's involved here heavily with at this point in time, so yeah, I mean, this was a, uh, it was a success. I mean, what can you say? No matter what Dave liked it or not, it was a success. It it sort of looks like the how can where can Dusty put himself on this card, but not start wrestling yet. So he, you know, he's involved in the big angle match on the show, probably not surprisingly. <laughs> Which is not the main event, even though it's Boogeyman Jam. <laughs> well, you got to put the world title on last, brother. And it's going sixteen. Well, actually, well, though they didn't put the world title on last for Final Conflict, although that was a cage match. Yeah, that is true. And we did just pass the anniversary of that a couple of days ago. It's not our year, but just saying. For people that haven't seen it, make sure to watch it. Yeah, and then, um, of course, Hercules would get fired uh, right after it on TV. They took the mask off, beat him up. And sit and packing. So the, there's that. But uh, and yeah. it's, you know, it's it's not part of our week. But you know, people that haven't watched uh, this TV leading up to it, you know, like you said, we've got you've got the famous Jimmy Valiant video, you know, the video with Big Mama and the limo, and you know, junkyard dog showing up to become part of you know this weird conglomeration of people of the people fighting Paul Jones's army, the street, you know, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, there's some, there's some, uh, pardon the pun dogs in Crockett at this time, but there's also a lot of really fun stuff too. You know, like our, I don't think our week, I don't know if on a, on the whole is, is up. It's not on the network. And I don't know if it's on YouTube, but you know, if you watch the, the year in transition stuff, there's a lot of fun angles from right around this time. Yeah, I mean, the the week uh, we have Mid-Atlantic's on a network, and Worldwide's actually not on YouTube. 
there is that too. Not for the week in particular that we're discussing, no. So No, but there's even although you wouldn't necessarily think about the some of the I don't know when uh it is versus our week, but some of the Ernie Ladd Rufus Jones stuff is funny in a I guess two thousand twenty two kind of cringy way. But you know, the angle where you know, Rufus had to put up the money to fight Ernie and then Ernie just takes the money and leave and him and Gary Hart laugh. You know, there, there's a couple of really funny angles, at least, you know, Ernie Ladd being Ernie Ladd. Oh, Ernie Ladd's awesome. That's what we talked about on last week's show. What a great fucking promo. And yeah, he's he's fantastic. But um, yeah, big show. And, and that's the hell of a card. And yeah, I mean, you look at this, you think Crockett's doing big things. You know, but under the surface, not so good. They're having some problems. All right, let's continue. Um, Charlotte, the next night, in front of 4,121 at Charlotte Coliseum. Mark Fleming over Bobby Bass. Keith Larson over Jeff Sword. Gary Royal over Bret Hart. Gary Horowitz. Angela Mosca Sr. over Greg Kabuki. Ivan Koloff regained the minute like a title to beat Angela Mosca Jr., Greg the Hammer Valentine and Wahoomit Daniels, a tag team, won a Texas Tornado match over Tully Blanchard and Don Canonal. And then Dory Flynn Jr. and Jimmy Valiant and Junkyard Dog won an elimination match of the Assassins and Paul Jones. That's, so. that's, that's almost a war six-man right there. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely odd. Um, but, I mean, Dory's about to turn, turn back heel. So. And, become, and become the outlaw. Yeah, become the masked outlaw, absolutely. Well, and we should so. also mention, too, that besides that Dusty's getting ready to come in and take over the book, Dory... It's always hard to try to figure out exactly how much credit he deserves for what, because when Crockett decided to switch to having all the TV up to date and shooting at the small arenas instead of the studio show... He was added three, I guess, I don't know if you would call them assistant bookers, where one, each each one represented a state. So the, a lot of the booking is being handled by North Carolina booker Gary Hart. Uh, was Wahoo South Carolina? Or was he Virginia? Ernie anyway, the other, was, two were, the other two were Wahoo and Early, Ernie Ladd. Ernie Ladd was South Carolina. Okay, so Wahoo's Virginia. Yes, yeah, so... Yeah. A lot of the booking, like, it's hard, like, what I would guess here is the stuff that feels like less like Dory Funk booked Florida or whatever is probably one of the other bookers, especially since the other three all have better reputation. Well, hey, I guess even Wahoo have better reputation for being creative bookers than Dory did. Yeah. All right, let's go to George Championship Press. You know, before we go, I will say, I, that, Wahoo and Valentine versus Tully and Cronodal. Sounds like that'd be a really fun match to watch on paper. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Be hard hitting on the babyface side, that's sure. I was like, I was going to say, it's like the, it's like what we get when Wahoo started teaming with Ron Garvin. You know, the match the jobbers, the match the jobbers did not want to take. Yeah, I'm sure it was. All right, George Chetcher Wrestling, March 17th on TV. They are running a tournament to determine the uh, number one contender for Ric Flair on their April 7th show in Baltimore. 
And one of the tournament matches features Tim Horner and Road Warrior Hawk. Interesting matchup. Uh, Ric Flair is on commentary wearing a plaid jacket. So we have that. So let's go to the finish of this match and one of the more memorable finishes of the era. So let's go to the clip. Here it is on a St. Patrick's Day Horner in the green, but uh, he's not having much of the luck of the Irish. That's Brother. Look at the ball. The Hawks. Horner in behind his man, rolling reverse. He's got the saddle. for Tim Horner, so he goes on in the tournament to meet the world champion. There will be wrestling tonight in Columbus, Georgia, and of course the big tour starts tomorrow. Uh, Don't forget Saturday, March. Brad Armstrong wearing a Loverboy uh, t-shirt here is fantastic, by the way. But Ronnie Garvin laughing at the finish is great, too. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> the Rowers had not lost on television. And they had lost a whole lot on house shows. So, I mean, that is a big-time finish right there to have one of them get beat on television clean as a sheet. You know, O'Connor roll, one, two, three, major. Now, what was what was Horner's placement on the card at this point? Was he... Mid-card. Mid mid-card. Just, just a mid-card babyface? So, like, not quite... He wasn't like Jobber to the Stars babyface. No, 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 no. higher no. than that. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was a guy who you could tell that Ole thought there was something in that guy because the year earlier, when he's in Mid South, they show a, a good bit of his TV matches on the Sunday show before he's even in the territory. So, I, oh, I, I, you can see where Ole saw something in that guy, and um, yeah, he comes to Georgia and he's you know. Mid card guy, but this is this is the match that really makes him makes his career, so to speak, in a way, you know. So uh, one of the biggest upsets ever, Bix, on television, that's for sure. And it, I don't know if you'd call it a hot shot, but it does show that Ole is trying. That he doesn't have Tommy Rich anymore. You know he phased out a lot of name talent to try to save money because of, you know, what he alleges was embezzlement on the part of Jim Barnett before he had him kicked out of the company, more or less. But, um, in terms of ratings points from the available universe, though the, so the, uh, audience is overall is a little higher than it was a year earlier. But they're down in terms of the percentage of the people getting TBS. They're down close to a full ratings point year over year. Yeah. A point eight. But because of the universe, they're actually... So for the numbers we have, because there's not a lot, they average a 6.9 rating in February 83, which worked out to about 1.725 million households. 
excuse me, the July 2nd, 83 show where Mr. Wrestling 2 puts his mask at stake, does a 6.8 rating, and about 1.7 million homes, 13.2 share, which was the record on TBS for years, and then March 84, they averaged a 6.0 rating for uh, 1.758 million homes. But, you know, the asterisk there, the, you know, it's hard to figure out exactly which number you weigh more is that TBS has added 4.3 million homes in a little over a year. Yeah. All right, well, let's go to Ric Flair on television, and he's got a promo talking about what this tournament deal here. So let's go to Nate in his plaid jacket. Is he really Nate if he's wearing a plaid jacket? <laughs> hey, they were popular this time. Well, next week it's Horner versus Armstrong, the winner to wrestle, the legendary Jack Briscoe, who, as I understand it, received a bye. One of those three men in the very near future is going to have an opportunity to wrestle Ric Flair in a city to be named for the World <laughs> Heavyweight Championship. None of them are strangers to me. I respect them all. Jack Briscoe, as you know, no stranger to you, certainly, Gordon, one of the greatest world champions of all time. I believe he held the title for three years. Whoever the man is, remember, and let's get it out front right now. There's only one Ric Flair. Woo! There's only one world champion. There's only one man. They call the franchise, and that's me, Daddy. So whichever one of you three it is, take a look at what you got to walk in the ring against. Thank you very much, Gordon. Thank you, Rick. Let's go to the ring. So, as many of you who watched the show, the, the tournament started to, to see who would wrestle Ric Flair on April 7th in Baltimore. They thought he should point out that someone he knew called the Baltimore ticket office on March 21st and was told that Flair would be defending the title against Jack Briscoe in the main event. Dave attributed that to whomever was their ticket counters, excellent foresight, and being able to handicap wrestling matches because the tournament was down to Briscoe, Brad Armstrong, and Tim Horner at that point. <laughs> WCW, everybody! <laughs> well, yeah, it is, kind of. <laughs> it is! <sighs> and of course, if you want to see that Baltimore show, it is available on the award-winning uh, World Wrestling Federation Network. That's right. Yes, including Ole Anderson just gleeful at fans who say they like his wrestling better than the WWF. Yeah, he should have been. So there you go. And again, it's you know when they're doing this big you know this big show, there it's in Baltimore. You know, the George's new home base, as it were. Gary Juster, the golden boy, the promoter, the, the fair hair boy. Yeah. So let's talk about other places George is going to this time. Well, Columbus, Georgia, on March 17th in this auditorium. Tommy Rogers of the Fantastics before Fantastics over Jesse Barr. Sweet Brown Sugar went to a draw with Les Thornton. Brad Armstrong of the Spoiler by disqualification. Ronnie Garvin won a Lumberjack match over Jake the Snake Roberts. And King Kong Bundy and Jay Youngblood over the Road Warriors in your main event. Holy shit. A Georgia card from 1984 with Garvin versus Shake? Wow. <laughs> Shock. Oh, it's funny. When, you, uh, when I was listening to those 84 shows and you kept talking about uh, Garvin and Jake, it's like I remember that thing you know, a couple of weeks ago when Al Getz was trying to figure out what guys have wrestled wrestled each other the most and i was thinking you know <laughs> listen to this 1984 georgia it's like you'd think ronnie garvin and jake would be somewhere on that list 
Well, let's continue. March 18th in Cincinnati at the Riverfront Coliseum. Sweet Brown Sugar over Jesse Barr. And notice they ran March 18th in Cincinnati. WF ran March 20th in Cincinnati. Same venue. <laughs> <laughs> um, Les Thornton retaining the World Junior title over Tommy Rogers. The spoiler over Pistol Best Watley. Brad Armstrong retaining the National Heavyweight title over Larry Zbysko. Road Wars retaining National Tag titles over Bundy and Youngblood. And then Jake retained the TV title over Ronnie Garvin in a tape fist match. Then Cleveland on the 22nd in front of 8,000 fans at the convention center. And Sweet Brown Sugar over Jesse Barr. Spoiler over Pez. Thornton over Rogers. The Briscoes over Wahoo and Jay Youngblood. Bundy and Jimmy Valiant over the Road Warriors. Brad retained national title over Zabisco. And then Jake over Garvin tape fist to retain national TV title. They got it. I mean, you look at the workers on this show, and it's a hell of a crew as far as yep. in the ring. But there's n- there's nothing that stands out as far as main event babyface, and that's their problem. Yeah, they don't have the baby the the Tommy Rich at his peak babyface here to really draw the houses. That's why they needed to turn the Road Warriors. And they, but they yes. didn't. Nope. If they ever turned the Road Warriors, who knows what would have happened. But they needed to, absolutely. Well, actually, even if they turn the Road Warriors, Vince probably still buys like 60% secretly in a few weeks. So, uh, Probably so. That was, about, that was probably a fait accompli. Now, I, don't think, honest, I don't think that that's why. I think it was just all these no, directions. going to happen. Oh, no, oh yeah. Bar- no, I think it's going to happen regardless. I just don't think it was all in concert. No, Jim Barnett was going to make sure that that happened. That was his ultimate revenge on Oli. So... Yeah. Ted DiBiase's not around right now because his mother passed away recently, and he was in Arizona with his family before he went to Japan for a tour. DiBiase has been offered to come to the title if he signed with WWF. Talk about your news item that's in the newsletters a lot in the spring of 1984. That one. I mean, they, you, you read these newsletters and you think, I mean, it's just a matter of fact and time that DiBiase's coming in to beat Tito for the IC title. It's, it's happening anytime now. Hmm. Interesting. Which I guess also means... <laughs> eh, interesting how uh, Tito, babyface who uses the figure four, the person mentioned here who he's theoretically losing the title to if he comes in, is a heel who uses the figure four, and then Tito loses the title to Greg Valentine, a different heel who uses the figure four and also endures his name. Yes. Well, that all makes me think the story is at least true as written. Well, Valentine's on his way there anyway, so he's already working there. He so. is, but it's a while before he gets in the mix with Tito. It so, is a while, yes, because he was with, working Hogan before he worked Tito. Yep. So I think this is true, that this is the plan if he had come in. Yeah, very possible. You do wonder what kind of butterfly effect that would be if DiBiase goes there. Instead it hurts of going, south. Instead of, you know, I'll say, I mean, you think about the two years of stuff that we lose with DiBiase in Mid-South. It hurts Mid-South you know. time. Big time hurts to death. Because you don't have DiBiase there to be Dennis' mentor. That really hurts him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a big change. Absolutely. And Dave knows, do you think there's any correlation that when Tyron Rich left, the crowds went up? Or is all these recent success just showing that even a complete fool can sometimes make money in this business? <laughs> I'm going to go with B. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing about Tommy Rich. When he was at his end of the road, he was not a drawing card anymore. He was like Bob Backlund in a way. Hmm. Really Do you think was. that is that just from overexposure and being there too long? I think it's more towards Tommy being a different person in the end of his run. He gained the weight. His hair was too sheepdogish. <laughs> I mean, he, he just wasn't the same guy, really. You could tell. All right, let's go to Championship Wrestling from Florida. Got a few shows here to talk about. Orlando, March 18th, 80 Grand Sports Stadium. At the Guerrero over Mike Allen. Chavo Guerrero over downtown Denny Brown. Mike Davis, Joe Lightfoot, and Mike Rotunda over Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Karma, and the One Man Gang. And of course, Karma being Bix's favorite wrestler, Cousin Luke, Jean Petit, Gene Lewis. Kendo stick match, Billy Jack over Ken Nagasaki. Ron Bass won a bunkhouse match over Barry Windham. And Dusty Rhodes and Mike Graham over Buzz Sawyer and Kevin Sullivan. So, yes, the Kevin Sullivan crew at this point in time consisted of Duggan, Gang. Oh, Gang's not really a pizza associate. Duggan, Karma, and Buzz. But not for long. Hacksaw Duggan lost a losing town first blood match to Dusty Rhodes on March 20th in Tampa. And he's headed back to Mid-South. Well, the Sun Dome on March 20th saw one man gang over Denny Brown, the Guerreros over Mike Davis, Joe Lightfoot, Mike Rotunda over Black Bart, Mike Graham and Barry Windham over Buzz Sawyer and Karma, Rhodes over Duggan, Loosely Town First Blood, and then Billy Jack over Kendo Nagasaki in a steel cage. And then in Miami, the next night, we had the Guerreros over Mike Allen and Mike Davis, Black Bart over Joe Lightfoot, Gang over Rotunda, Graham and Windham over Buzz and Karma, Dusty over Duggan, and they're in the Miami version, Loosely Town First Blood. And Billy Jack over Kendo in a steel cage match. So there you go. And Mark is Duggan working as a heel here in Florida, about to go back to Mid-South where he's about to regain his status as the number one baby face there. It's also funny to see Duggan teaming with Gang on on that one show because uh, we, we may or may not get to it, but they're going to be wrestling against each other somewhere else soon. So it's funny to see them teaming here. But that's the that's this time period where you have guys working all kinds of promotions. At the same yeah, time. like yeah, like we said before, it's funny to see so many guys working in so many different places, either concurrently or you know switching so often. And then like you know, when you know when you get a wild card like St. Louis, where you know you could have anybody teaming with anybody seemingly. But you know, like you said, it's the it's. It's the times, you know, it's all the territories are, are still active, you know, for better or worse. Some are up, some are down, but they're all still there. Yeah, still going. Bix, what are your thoughts on Florida at this time? It's fine. <laughs> That's all I can really say, I guess. I mean, we're still deep in the Kevin Sullivan era, which, you know, he's in return in, in, in the 83 or 84. And, it, and, and we still have Dusty, <laughs> but... Well, also, At least from the stuff know, I've seen, I feel like it just comes off like a beta test for Dusty and Crockett. Well, it's, it's 83, you just be rolling over, basically. Yeah. And you look at the cards, and you know, look at how many of these guys are going to be gone when Dusty goes to Crockett. You know, or or we're supposed to go to Crockett. 
Dusty, the Long Riders, you know, presumably Dylan, you know, who's not in the results, Wyndham and Rotundo, you know, so it's just, you know, it's like half the card is, is going to be plucked out of here soon. Well, JJ is in the Maritimes, right? Nope. Well, JJ, JJ is, uh, is basically, um, booked on WF house shows coming up. No, that's just that's just for him working the MSG oh, shop. Oh no, it's not. <laughs> Explain. Oh, th- I th- I, that's right. There is that one or two results you've posted before, but there's multiple shows of JJ. That's that's him on the book. I don't, um, that I found lately. But why? Why is he never talked about this? I don't know. Is Maybe it, he you know what? Have... Actually, no. You know what? Looking at the venues that he works, and at least the ones that, that History WWE has him as advertised on, they're all around. They're all in the tri-state area around that garden show. So I'm guessing that's just him sticking around well, and seeing family well, and picking up some bookings. Well, at this point in time, and where we're at now, J- uh, JJ's in Memphis. Well, he's not full time there either, though. He's not well. He's working house shows, <laughs> but he's in for a brief run. He, that's not his primary place of employment, is what I'm saying. He's he's flip flopping between Memphis and Florida. So the Maritimes looked, thing, I guess. Yeah, I guess. But is it that late that he that he goes to? They're Carver? not open it, yet. Well, they're not open. Well, I was going to say, what, but was the new promotion a summer season too? The new promotion wasn't year round either. I. Yes, yeah. All right, so he was booked in Mountaintop, Pennsylvania on April 24th, where Terry Daniels subbed for him. Uh, he's booked in Heightstown, New Jersey on April 27th, where Israel Matia subbed for him. He's, bu- he's booked in Watertown, New York on May the 2nd against Jose Luis Rivera. And that's the uh, three I have right now on him as uh, on WF booking sheets. Um... Well, Cage Match at least does not have any of his Maritimes results, so <laughs> can't use that as a barometer there for that. But anyway, but yeah, I mean Billy Jacks, you know, the big difference here, him being in Florida and being the top top babyface of the industry at this point in time. I mean, this is where the magazines really pick up the steam on him too, right here. Hmm. And he becomes one of the biggest uh, wrestling stars in the country because of that. So there you go. All right, Southeastern Championship Wrestling. We have Birmingham at the Batwell Auditorium on May, March 19th. We have Johnny Rich going to a draw with Rip Rogers. Charlie Cook over Vic Rain by count-out. Vic Rossitani. Jacques Rougeau won a Canadian death match over Boris Zirkoff. Jimmy Golden over Mr. Orient. And Arn Anderson and Jerry Stubbs over Ron and Robert Fuller in your main event. You almost said it. May 19th. I did almost say May 19th. Yes, you did. <laughs> and Mr. Orient. All right. Let me see if you can guess who Mr. Orient is, Bick. So I didn't put it here. Who's Who do, who do you think Mr. Orient is here? Is he someone that was in the territory? Um, Somebody that was in the territory, but someone you may not know was in the territory. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, uh, so it's, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, Good. I don't know. He has a f- famous stepson in wrestling, so to speak. Ron Garvin? You're close. Ron Slinker. 
Uh, okay. He's, he's using his karate gimmick as Mr. Orient. So yeah, see, see, yeah, my my first question would have been, is Mr. Orient actually Asian? <laughs> and the, I would I would have guessed the answer is no. Of course not. Yeah, and you're yes. So there you go. There's your southeastern for the week, Memphis. By the way, can I just say though that I love that every time we have a Vic Rain result, you always clarify that it's Vic Rosatani, as in mo- as if most people listening would have any idea who Vic Rosatani is. <laughs> well, I know. Uh, Memphis, we, we don't have TV for a week because it's on YouTube, but muted thanks to some uh, copyright deal. But Miss Off Coliseum, March 18th, from a 5,420. It's an afternoon show, Sunday afternoon show. We have Tom Jones over The Executioner by Forfeit, King Conga over Scott Shannon, aka Scott, Scott McGee, Bugsy McGraw over Mad Dog Boy. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh my god, Dirty Rose and Harley Davidson over the A Team. That'd be Don Bass and uh, Bill Smithson, I think. Uh, so yeah, I was just going to say, weren't the, wasn't the A Team usually Don Bass and Dirty Rhodes? Yeah, but it was Bill Smithson here. Okay, are you sure it's Bill Smithson and not like a Larry Wright or someone like that? Oh no, ain't Larry Wright. Okay. Then you got Dutch Mantel subbing for Spike Huber. Over the Black Ninja. Or, of course, Holly Davis would be Hibbley Jim, by the way. Uh, Norville Austin, Coco Ware over the Moondogs. New Fabs, Eddie Gilbert and Tony Rich over the other New Fabs, Port Chop Cash and the Dream Machine. Austin Albertson, International Navy Hotel, Rick Rude by disqualification. In our main event, Jerry Lawler, Joe LaDuke, and Jimmy Hart over Mr. Elijah Keen, Mr. Kareem Muhammad, and J.J. Dillon. In Louisville on March 20th, we have Jesse Ortega. Also known as Omar Atlas Bay Moreno over the Executioner, subbing for the Angel. Norvell and uh, Coco over the A Team. Dutch Mantel over Randy Savage. New Fabs over the other New Fabs. Then <laughs> we had a decision match for the Vegas Southern Tag Titles. No DQ, no time limit. Jerry Lawler and Joe LaDuke defeated the Zambui Express. See, interesting time in Memphis where Jimmy Hart and Joe LaDuke are aligned with Lawler in a way against J.J. Dillon's charges. Right, because J.J. and Jimmy Hart have an issue because J.J. finessed Kamala away from him, right? Yes. Which, well, of course, they, he would because he, uh, he's who brought Kamala to Jimmy Hart in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, all, uh, Idle Rude Feud is, is really good at this time period over uh, Angel. Idle trying to get Angel to leave Rick Rude. Talks about how He's he's abusing you and all this other stuff, and uh, just picture yes. it in the Austin Idol promo voice, though. <laughs> yeah, he's abusing you. <laughs> I Darling? can't do it, but you get the idea. So yeah, good stuff. The TV surrounding our week is on YouTube, so go watch that. Which week it's has also... the uh, talking in your sleep music video? That's in the era too. Yes, go ahead, Mark. I was gonna say it's interesting that Nightheart had just debuted on TV, but he's not on the shows yet. He hadn't debuted on TV during our week yet. Oh, okay. After. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. And uh, if Porch, if Porkchop and Troy are the new fabs, does that mean we've already had the death of the Bruise Brothers music video? Yeah. Dave was in the Observer burying that uh, right uh just before our week, he called the single most tasteless thing he'd ever seen on a wrestling television show. But he said it was hilarious. But, oh, if only he would know. 
I guess by again by 1984 standards, maybe that is. By 20, 2022 standards, he, he was talking about mainly what he's what he's referring to is they did a funeral so close to David Von Erich's death. Uh, you know what? I had never really thought about that with the timing. He said if it wasn't for the funeral, it, it was fantastic. But it was the funeral scene that really pissed him off. Because remember, he's in Texas. That's a huge deal. You know? So I get where Dave's coming from in, with his contacts. You know? I really do. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, you certainly you look at that observer from after David died, and it's, you know, newspaper article after newspaper article from from that. And it's just, you know, it's probably like 75% of the observer that month. Yeah. So... All right, now let's go to the big section of our week. Mid-South Wrestling. Junkyard Dog face off against Mr. Wrestling 2 on March 19th. Well, it's March the 12th. Dave had the date wrong. In New Orleans for the North American heavyweight title with JYD saying if he lost, he would leave town. And he did. As Mr. Wrestling 2 used a loaded knee lift to win. Did he, though, Chris? Did he? Well, we're going to... Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> JYD is headed to JCP as a regular... But we'll be working shots here again at Stagger Lee. Well, let's go to the television for our week, where Mr. Wrestling 2 is with Cowboy Bill Watts to talk about this. And let's see what really happened here. The junkyard dog is not here, is largely responsible to the man standing beside me, Mr. Wrestling 2, who is the new North American heavyweight wrestling champion. Monday, March the 12th downtown New Orleans before a packed crowd. Wrestling 2 wrestle the junkyard dog. By the way, still got the old belt a little bit longer here. When does the big belt start? Uh, not too long after this. That's what I thought. Who is the first champion with it? Magnum? Ma- Magnum. Of course. It correlates with him. Really. I mean, I think 2 actually had it. Maybe, but I know Magnum is has it extremely early in his run. Maybe, I mean, maybe it was at the beginning, but yeah, that is the old North American belt, yes. And two, I've known you a long time. And I'll tell you, I was there and you shocked me because I think you know the match that the dog would be the most vulnerable in would be a clean scientific bout. And in all the hoopla going on between you and Magnum TA, you kept stressing you'd beat him fair and square. And you said if you beat him, didn't beat him fair and square for the title, you'd unmask and leave Mid-South. Now, Mid-South didn't write any of these stipulations into the contract. This was a verbal situation between you and the junkyard dog. And you went out and you wrestled him fair and square. And I think you know that he's the toughest guy I've ever met and that he's used to big, rough, tough guys trying to cheat him and he goes ghetto style and he can beat them all. So you stayed real cool and you didn't get his temper flared up because I think you figured he'd take your head off. You lulled him into a false sense of security. You still couldn't beat him. You hit him with two or three knee lifts and couldn't put him down. And then I saw you take something out of your tights, strap it on your knee, and knock him cold. What do you say to that? Hey, uh, Bill, what you saw was I was pulling my trunks up, and as far as anything, I was straightening out my knee. I had a knee pad on it, it was wrinkled down a little bit, and I was pulling my knee up. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let's let the people at home be the judge. We have a very short film clip that covers just that one instant in the match when something drastically changed in your appearance. Let's watch that now. Everybody can see right there, Wrestling 2 taking something out of his tights and adjusting it to his leg. 
And as he moves over, you can see that a new piece of equipment has been added to his leg above the knee pad, above the knee in the thigh area where he connects that tremendous bionic knee lift of his to the jaw of whoever he is trying to beat. I think everybody at home saw just what happened. And the junkyard dog is a man of his word, which I can no longer say for you. And he's said that he was leaving anyway, although you didn't beat him fair and square. So he's gone for Pause 90 days. First of I all, know Bill, exactly get off. where you're going with this. Thanks. Do you want to explain why they never showed Mr. Wrestling 2 using the knee? Because he messed up the finish so badly and the knee lift missed so badly that it hurt business because the fans thought that JYD took a dive. The, you know, the hero in New Orleans. In New Orleans. Now, is the, is the raw footage version online? Uh, probably, but it doesn't have commentary or anything. I know, but I'd be curious to see it. Let, let me go look. Yeah, I, I think so. But can you imagine how angry Watts must have been when he saw that? Uh, yeah. I, I'm doing a search now, and I don't see it online. It may have been, but it ain't on there anymore. Not, not, not on YouTube. I mean, I know somewhere else I can check. Well, let's we'll keep playing this for now. Or turn turn my volume down by mistake for a second. We'll keep playing this for now while I look. But yeah, that's what happened. So back to the promo. Off my back. The fact of it is, is that I was pulling up a knee pad. And I am also the new North American heavyweight champion, whether you like it or not. And that goes for anyone else. Well, I might have given you a little bit of credibility is what you're just saying, except the next night, March the 13th, even though you and TA have had a lot of animosity, you did have the Mid-South Tag Titles. And in Lafayette, Louisiana... It was a no-disqualification match against the Midnight Express with the titles against the belting. And they had belted you guys before. And you walked out and left Magnum TA to take a beating and a whipping all by himself. And let's join the final closing moments of that. There you see Wrestling 2 jumping off the apron, starting to depart the ring to walk out on this important Mid-South Tag Team title match. A one-fall, no-disqualification match. The title's up against a belting. The losing team must receive five lashes per man. But you see, Magnum T.A. doesn't know it, and still he's come out, and he's got Dennis Condry in a standing abdominal stretch, and he's giving up, but Fergie there was distracted trying to get two back in the ring, and that allowed Bobby Eaton to come in with that tennis racket that I'm sure is much more heavy duty than anything you'd find at a sporting goods store, and he hit (laughs) T.A. in the head. They won the match, won the titles, and now Magnum T.A. has got to take the whipping that he and two would have had to take by losing them, not one time for five lashes, but twice for ten lashes. And you see Dennis Condry as T.A. is holding his head from that brutal blow with a tennis racket in this no, that no-disqualification match. You see the new champions, the new Mid-South Tag Champions, applying those belts. And you can just imagine how anguishing that would be. And you see the little monkey running around in a red suit. The man that has no place in a ring or association with real athletes or real men. That mama's boy, that sissy. And he's going to administer the last, the, the fifth lash on Magnum T.A. You know, if he was ever invited to a reunion of athletes, he should come in singing Stranger in Paradise. <laughs> there, you, the only man I've ever... That's an interesting twist that. on the usual way he says that one. I love that line. <laughs> I, but he's oh, kind I... of fascinating, though, because he's calling him a sissy and all that. But decides to hold back there and, say, and says athlete reunion instead of men's room. 
Uh, I should also say for this section, uh, keep a keep a count, keep a sissy count on how many times we hear that we're, <laughs> hear that uh, during these clips in this episode. Yeah. And I we after this we can look at the finish of the uh, of the New Orleans match because I did find the match on a Google Drive. Sorry. Uh. Ever seen a wrestling ring where his stomach is bigger than his shoulders? I just can't stand this. Would be like. Put- but that, that's not 1984, Jim Cornette, though. Stomach bigger than his shoulders. He's, well, that's how we, that's how weak his arms is, Bex. Oh, uh, okay. You you're saying it's supposed to be about how small his arms are, not saying that he's chubby or anything. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Insult in an open wound to have to stand there for the humiliation of this sorry excuse for a man, this sissy that's been running his mouth and using his mama's money to buy what he wants. And there, Magnum T.A. takes it. Now you see the greatest thing I've seen since I've been associated with wrestling. Magnum T.A. is bending over, or was bending over there to take the five additional lashes. And we've edited this, but Terry Taylor walked out and said, if two was that treacherous to walk out on you after the beating you just took, I'm not going to let you take ten. I'll take five for you. And greater love has no man than to sacrifice for his friend. And you see just how bad that first shot that Terry Taylor took. And like I say, we've edited this down, but Terry Taylor will stand in the hearts and minds of everybody, and certainly in Magnum T.A. as a sacrifice. And you can just see how bad they're, they're lacerating his back with that belt. And, of course, they're taunting and let, letting the, they won't get it over with. They drag it out. And listen, look at the, the, the pick squeak there in the red coat hollering taunts and making fun of him. And yet this man has never been in a physical contest in his life where he had to pay the price and feel the pain and the hurt and get out and sacrifice and be in shape. He is, he's like body lice. He's, he, he's a scavenger. He's hanging on and taking his off of those that do. You know, it's like being a freeloader or a person that, that, that doesn't work for a living, you know, that just accepts the handouts and the, and, and the freebies. That's Jim Cornette, and yet he is coming in to gloat and, and to partake of the Mid-South Championship and also to dish out a lash to each of these tremendous young athletes that have paid the price, that are champions in their own right and certainly have the heart of champions. And right here you see, I, I just don't think that, I don't think there's any way if I had a breath left in my body and was conscious and coherent that I could stand there and let that sissy lay that belt on me. Not that he could hurt me. That sissy couldn't hurt anybody. But the fact that I'd have to take that from him, it just would be more. I, I, I take my Ooh, hat off to Um, Real quick, Phil is so obsessed with calling him a sissy over and over that he accidentally undoes his putting over Terry Taylor. <laughs> Did you catch that? Yeah. Well, I never let him do that. Yeah. That that that's a, a bit counterproductive there, cowboy. Well, the uh the thing, I don't know if he said this during all this, but just for the chronology of people that don't know this, the Mr. Wrestling 2 Junkyard Dog match was two days before this TV taping, and the match that we just saw with the Midnights and the belt whipping was the night before. So this is all three days in a row. Mm-hmm. Just so, and and you listen, and then if you listen there to what Watts is saying about Cornette, you know, it's definite foreshadowing when, when you're watching it now. And like, it's on like so many different, this is one of the reasons this is, to me, this is one of the greatest episodes of Mid South TV there is. Like it to me, I rank this with the DiBiase, Dick Murdoch show, and the Russian flag show. 
Like there's so much stuff in this episode and it's layered. It, you know, it just shows you like, you know, why we all love Mid-South TV so much. I think this, this TV, as we'll see some of the other stuff that comes later, is just so balanced and nuanced and just shows, you know, how great Watts and Dundee were at this time. Let's continue. I wanted to say real quick, though, you know, as much as Dundee rightfully gets credit for this era and Watts gets his credit, obviously, because it's still within his style, I feel like they, we don't give them enough credit for how well they worked as a team. Like, yeah. there are not people you would think would have overlapping visions, but they kind of made up for each other's deficiencies, and I would say maybe even the the... Some was bleh. the whole was greater than the sum of its p- parts, arguably. Even though both were already great bookers, like this stuff's almost on another level, you know. So anyway, back and to Watts you. and Watts deserves so much credit for letting Dundee do the Tennessee stuff that he wants to do in his territory. Because yeah. I mean, at this point, it hasn't translated into business yet. Really, it's just him putting faith. It, putting faith in a guy that that had one booking run for six weeks that, you know, the promoter thought was so bad he stopped it in the middle. Well, not his booking so much as the I mean, yeah the I mean, that Chattanooga stuff was never going to work for a number of reasons. But yeah, it is interesting though that it's just he's really just there on the rep of being a guy with good ideas. So. Anyway. And for Watts, no, I, to, oh. I was gonna say, and for Watts to not only for a guy with no track record, but big burly Bill Watts is putting his trust in, you know, a very small man. Well, a very you small know, which, man who he wouldn't even let wrestle for the first however many months. Yeah, but he kind of liked his bookers that to do that anyway. Mm. Anyway, let's get back to this. Bill, what you just saw? Yes, I walked off because. You know, I could no longer coach this man. He was, he's already got the big head. He feels that he knows it all. And when a guy gets like that, then you got to get away from him. And that's exactly what I did. I'll be doggone if I was going to stand there and get a whipping by him beating and losing the belts too. No way. I have been in that situation once before. He lost a match and I got a whipping for it. Well, that wasn't going to happen again. And I saw to it it didn't. Well, I'm saying congratulations, I guess, in order. You are now the North American heavyweight champion. That's exactly now, Russell, right. Russell, you look at all these people that backed you for so many years and believed in you and stood behind you, and I was one of them. And you've lost a great deal of that following. I haven't lost anything. I've got the North American heavyweight title. <laughs> there you heard it. We'll be back after these messages from Mid-South Wrestling. Oh, this is the network, network version, then. How about that? I, I pulled the network version. So there you go. Oh, ah. and, if say, and if you're wondering just how old Mr. Wrestling Wrestling is right now, he's 49. I mean, he sounds like he's... 70. 70. But yeah, he's only, quote-unquote, 49. Although, you know, again, 1984 old is not 2022 old. Yeah. All right, so we, Bix has the fin, uh, has what's going on what here. What the fuck? <laughs> the wrestling to JYD thing, and rewind that back. Yeah, I'm gonna go back a little and have the crowd noise too. Let's see. I'm gonna turn this. 
so he's setting up that he's going to let him into the ring without it attacking him, but then he goes over to load the knee. The JYD's coming back in. JYD standing there bent. It's not heat. It's like what? It wasn't just that. It was a, the 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 whole pin was botched. Well, he the ref makes it look like Dalk was supposed to have his foot on the ropes or something. Yeah. Or Dalk. or he's or he's under the ropes. Yeah. But he exactly doesn't like kick that. out. Yeah, but it doesn't happen. So now they have to. Two has to drag JYD in the middle of the ring. Oh God, I forgot this part. Now he covers him. And it's a three count. But was that's, he even in the ropes in the first place? That was the worst part about the whole thing. I think yeah, anything else. Well, I mean, the lore was it was it was the knee lift, but and but I think two does as well as he can with the situation, which is that JYD. I don't know if it's his issues getting to him or what. JYD completely fucks that up. That is not two's fault in there. That is JYD. And, not staying yeah. like not. Well, it it seems like he kind of lets either lets or gets Carl Fergie in his way while he's bent over getting back into the ring, which is obviously supposed to be the setup for the finish. You can see two waiting, seeing that he doesn't have a good angle to hit the knee lift on JYD, and then finally just says "screw it" right as JYD is standing up straight. And he try and he tries he he tries to jump up and do kind of a jumping knee out of it. But again, it's not the knee lift. But the it's knee, the pin. But the story, I thought the story, the story as I had always heard it was that the knee lift getting missed was what really. Well, the, the, the dragging to the middle of the ring is more egregious to me. And, you know, it wouldn't have been as bad if he'd have done another move and then pinned him again. Drop an elbow, yes. like, do something. Yes. Yeah, like if he did, I mean, although he took the gimmick out already. Oh, JYD, got, we, did JYD get his shoulder up on the first one? And what is going on there? But if he'd have dropped, like, if he'd have just done, like, a flare-style knee drop to his head or something, you know, or... Do it with the loaded thing on. You still have it. Well, I think he he already took it out. No, no, because it's it's the... No, remember, they're showing that he put the second head on. Yeah, so... So, No, it's the JYD rolls his shoulder, but then Fergie acts like he got to the ropes. Because he goes over and looks at his right foot like he thinks it's either going to be on the rope or underneath the rope. And from he's the very angle, obviously not close enough to the ropes. Right. From our angle, it certainly doesn't look that way. So, yeah. And I we mean, sure, well, we should know, too, as as a referee, Carl Fergie is extremely green at this point, too. Yeah. All right. So we have more stuff going on TV. Terry Taylor and the Russians have their feud going on, Nikita and Crusher Khrushchev. So let's go to that, shall we? You mean Nikolai Volkov and Crusher Khrushchev? Yeah, Nikolai Volkov, excuse me. Not, 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 not Crusher Khrushchev and his brother, the dear leader, Nikita. 
<laughs> yeah, Nikita Nikolai Volkov and Crush Khrushchev. You're right. Disqualification. They, what they do so well, they two against one. He's going for that hangman rope. Terry Taylor down with both of them on him. They've got him in that hangman rope. They've got him in that hangman rope. Hacksaw Dugan! Hacksaw Dugan! Hacksaw Dugan, and he brought enough lumber to build his own building. Oh! Hacksaw Dugan, and he's laying the wood to him. Hacksaw Dugan, and he's laying... There's a hand raise and disqualification. Terry Taylor takes a victory over Russian Nikolai Volkov. Jim Hacksaw Duggan. Heard a lot of weird rumors about him lately. But look at him. That's the bad and the beautiful right there. Hacksaw Duggan is a bad man. Will we try to restore order? It'll be Magnum T.A. against Nature Boy Buddy Landale. Oh, wait a minute. Let's get let's get a few remarks from Jim Ross out there. Uh, let's welcome Dugan yeah. back. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, Jim. Ready? Sometimes a man has to step back and take a long look at what's going on. Sometimes a man needs some time. Now, it's true. It's true that Crusher Darso got my coal miner's glove away from me. And it's true he busted my chops pretty good. But it's also true that Hacksaw Duggan doesn't forget. It's also true that Hacksaw Duggan will make up for lost time. Because every stinking day, every stinking day, I wash my hair, I think of Crusher Darso. I eat my cereal, I think of Crusher Darso. I brush my teeth, and I think of Crusher Darso. I want you, Darso, or whatever you're calling yourself, and I want my glove back. So that means a coal miner's match glove. That's what I want, baby, a coal miner's glove match. Because Hacksaw Duggan's back, and Hacksaw Duggan's walking tall. There you hear from Hacksaw Duggan at ringside, and we'll be back with more Miss South Wrestling action after this word from the network. Coal miner's match glove, scrambled bunkhouse death match bat. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine though seeing this guy bringing him in and being like, "I need to make him dumber." <laughs> that was well, raw. Well, he did do that at first. No, he, he did, got to be Mid South Duggan at first. Yeah, and he was he, he was Mid South Duggan really until he gets fired. He, yeah, yeah, but no, he's Mid South Duggan when he comes back. The Harley feud, he was still Mid South Duggan. He, he's a little bit more tough guy ho dug in in that though. Yeah, but he's, it, he's not he's all the way there though. No. But how about the crowd when Duggan when they saw Duggan? You mean dude? Holy, dude! Oh, whatever. <laughs> when they were just—I mean, just jumping up and down, you know, because hey, JYD is now gone. There comes Duggan, the the comeback, you know, and take the spot, and that that place went fucking nuts. You know, it's funny that we saw almost all of the Jim Duggan tropes there, but they seem organic in Mid-South. The two-by-four, yeah. 
the foot stomp. I don't think he did the thumb, but well, certainly he was laying lumber, pardon the pun, you know, in a way that he never did once he gets to WF. I mean, those guys took some pretty hard shots from that two by four. Oh yeah. Especially Crusher. All right. Well, it's time. Of course, the Midnight Express won their Mid-South Tag Titles um, the day before the TV taping in Lafayette, Louisiana. And now it's time to celebrate. So let's go to Jim Cornette and his party for his Midnight Express. It isn't his dog's birthday as well, is it? We'll find out. Ladies and gentlemen, this next segment, Boyd Pierce, Mid-South Wrestling, Grizzly Smith, we are not responsible for it. We'll go to ringside now for a special segment. Well, as Cowboy Bill Watts said, Jim Cornette has has purchased some time here on Mid-South Wrestling to have a celebration. You know, Jim Ross, I know that everybody's just as pleased as I am that we are, as you can see, oh, boys, now control yourselves, the new Mid-South Tag Team Champions. Can you see those belts right there? I told everybody it was only a matter of time. Just as quick as we cornered those chickens, two and T.A., the first chance we had, we took the belt. You can see the proof right here. Oh, Bobby, keep throwing. Come on, let's celebrate. We'll celebrate Don't you wish you could come to our party, Jim Ross? Because I love that. I'm a partying kind of guy. Look at all the stuff we got here. I want to show you something. A congratulatory letter from my mother telling me how happy that she is that we won the belts. Don't read this against the law to read other people's mail, Jim Ross. You know what? Hey, look at there. The champagne is flowing. That is French champagne, Jim Ross. $100 a bottle because when I do something, I do it right. Of course, I don't drink, but I, no, no, no. You go, you go ahead. I don't begrudge Dennis and Bobby a little sip every now and then, but I'll drink my Pepsi later. Now, we also have some balloons. Do you drink some plates? Hey, don't give him any. He's not invited. He's not invited. We have the napkins, as you can see. You know, I tried to hire a clown, but Boyd Pierce was all booked up, so I couldn't get that. But we've got everything else. And the main thing that I want to say is the people in the studio audience are not invited because you people are going to see right now how much fun it is to be in the Midnight Express. And you're going to see why that we are the champions, but they can't come. And I'm going to say, shut up over there. This is our party. We can do anything we want to. And I'm going to say one more thing, Jim Ross. You know, my mother was going to be here today, but unfortunately, she had a meeting to go to. She had to fly to New York and meet with E.F. Hutton, and she couldn't be here. But I know that you will extend your deepest regards to her. Won't you do that? Oh, certainly, yeah, right. Uh, very, very happy to be here. Yeah, but anyway, and now, the piece de resistance. Ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, this beautiful cake right here. I normally don't let Dennis and Bobby eat sweets. But in this case, once again, I am going to make an exception because they are the tag team champions of all the Mid-South. They will remain so for quite some time. <laughs> See how exuberant they are. Oh, Bobby. I lo- oh, yeah. Don't, don't slobber now, Bobby. That's not polite. Don't slobber. I know you're excited. They're going to party all night long. Isn't that like a song or something? <laughs> no. Well, now, don't go into that, boys. But anyway, what I'm going to do now, this cake is rather large, but you ain't never seen these boys eat. So I am going to, at this time, let the boys go over there and show these people how much fun you have when you're in the Midnight Express. But remember, don't let them join in because they're not invited. They're not invited. Right? They're not invited. Just show them how much fun we have. And I'm going to cut this dad up here right now. Okay. And when I do, Jim Ross, you can't have any. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's quite a celebration going on here at ringside. Jim Cornette's very pleased that 
his men have become the Mid-South Tag Team Champions. They've got champagne, they've got a big nice cake and everything. Whoa! Jim Cornette, the Rock and Roll Express! <laughs> Woo! Oh, what in the world is... Oh. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, Bill. The Rock and Roll Express joined the party. I wonder if he invited them. Oh. Oh, look at it. Jim Cornette has had his face slammed in the cake. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Cornette. Cornette has got cake all over himself from at the hands of the Rock and Roll Express. The party, the party's over. The party is over. I'd like to be able to say something to Cornette here. Jim Cornette, I'd, I'd like to be able to get a word here. They're leaving. Let's go back to ringside of Bill Watts and Boyd Pierce. Oh, Boyd, I tell you, I love it. I love it. It's about time after all the horrible, degrading things that sissy has perpetrated on some real men in this ring. I love it. Thank you, Rock and Roll Express. You've made my day. You'll be back after these messages from Mid-South, and I get the tears out of my eyes. All right. Well, now let's go to the end of the show where uh, Jim Cornette comes back out, and he's pretty pissed off, and Cowboy Bill Watts decided he wants to get involved as well. So let's go to the clip. By the way, the spelling of Nikolai here. They just combine the two different spellings. Very common. Okay. In this era. N-I-C-O-L-A-I. Very common, yes. We know where you are, just listen to me. This is the most disgusting, the most humiliating thing that has ever happened. And we should note, by the way, this is the closing segment of the show. Yes. The birthday party ended a little before the halfway mark. Yeah in my life. Look at me. I know where I've got cake. I am not used to being treated like this. I'm a cornet. And I'm going to tell you something right now. It was bad enough once. I'm going to... I've talked to my mother's attorneys. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue Grizzly Smith or a link. If I can get all these people served in the studio, I'll sue them too. It was bad enough to play the thing once and laugh at it, but you got to play it again and have everybody all over Mid-South Wrestling laughing at me with cake all over my face like it. Yeah, we should actually explain that real quick because it's vital to the angle. Um, Before you queued it up, they showed it again specifically with the idea that Watt asked them to do it because he found it hilarious and there was room left in the episode. Yes. That is why when Watts comes over here right now, that is why Cornette's issue is with Watts. Yeah. Idiots! Now what's Big Head doing here? I don't want to butt in, but let me say one thing. I'm president of Mid-South, and Big I asked Oral Link to play this. It's not his fault. It's not Grizz's fault. It's not their fault. I think it was funny. I think it was great. I think it's about time you got what's coming to you. So if your mother wants to sue somebody, have her get her attorneys and sue me. 
And that's oh, all really? I want to say oh, to really? you. Well, hey, I got something to say to you, Bill Watts. Okay. Let me tell you something. I've heard all Don't the things. Don't put your hands hey, up. Hey, I'll, I'll do anything I want. I've heard all the names you've been calling me, all the things you've been saying about me the past few weeks. Let me tell you what I think of you, Bill Watts. I'm going to tell you, I think you're a washed-up cowboy. You think you're John Wayne or Marshall Dillon or something, riding the range for right and might. You come out here. Who appointed you to be criticizing people, huh? Who made you the boss? You come out here, you criticize me, you criticize other people, but you take up for Bill Watts. You take up for your friends. Well, let me tell you something. I'm sick of you, Marshall Dillon. I'm sick of what you're saying about everybody. This is horrible. This is not something to be laughed at. And I'm going to tell you one thing. I will call my mother. I will have her send out enough money. Don't interrupt me, big mouth. You got a mouthful of memories, but you can't back them up anymore. I'm going to have her send out enough money that she'll buy controlling interest in your crummy Mid-South Wrestling Corporation, and I'm not going to fire you. I'm going to demote you down to the basement. I'm going to have you a janitor swabbing out lavatories, cleaning bathrooms, picking up other people's garbage. You know what else? I'm going to have your stupid, geeky-looking son. I'm going to have your geeky-looking son selling Midnight Express T-shirts. First of all... First of all, keep your hands off of me, sissy. Let me tell you, I don't want to argue with you because I run out of words to say in an argument and then I settle it physically. And you're not equipped for it, sissy. And don't ever say anything about my family or my son. Now, I'm going to walk away. This is twice. Oh, I'm walking away. Hey, I don't want you to come. Oh, hey. Whoa, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, wait. Let's go back. Let's get back to Boyd Pierce right away. Well, I never seen like this. I know Bill Watts a long time. Jim Cornette may be sipping soup through a straw, but when I've seen that hand put a man out more than a baseball bat. That's all the time. Goodbye till next week on Mid-South Wrestling. Here's the genius of Bill Watts when it comes to pro wrestling. Chris, what's different about Boyd Pierce here? He's wearing a standard blue suit. How is that different from basically every other appearance Boyd Pierce has ever made on television? Um, he usually wore a loud suit, but he, in this in this era, he starts scaling down on that. In fact, I mean, you know, he still it, says it's pretty not, loud though. It's not it's not it, like it was not, in the seventies and early eighties, but it's still it's not, not this it, either. Uh, but and we're about to go to the mid south blazer era too, where they all wear mid south blazers. Still, I'd be curious to see two weeks or what the you know the March third show looked like because. Well, I'll give you this: uh, when he does break that the coats out more is when he's ring announcing. Okay. Well, no, but what I was thinking though is. On the dice, on the on the shows that Ross and Joel are announcing, after, which is after this, uh, this this time period right here, when Ross and Joel are announcing the second week taping, he's in the ring and uh, doing an announcing with the loud jackets on. Right, but what I'm thinking is, it's not often that you need Boyd Pierce to be the last person you see selling the angle hard. Yeah, because it's a. Well, actually, wait. We haven't started Jr. and Joel yet, right? Or is it still Boyd and Bill yeah. the main hosts, or what? Yeah, Boyd and Bill are still the main hosts. Yes. Okay, so I would have to. I, would, I could just check the week before, the week after. I'm curious if this is Bill feeling like he needed to be more serious to send the show home coming out of this angle. Well, okay, Boyd's not even ring announcing yet. At this point in time, Reese is still ring announcing. Oh, wait a minute, Boyd is announcing on this on March 30th. He is in a. <laughs> 
He's in quite the suit. All white. An all white suit on March 30th. What, was he going to gig or something? <laughs> well, plus, if you notice, during the party, Cornet says, you know, I tried to hire a clown, but Boy Pierce was already busy. Yeah. So, oh, no, so it's on, no Joel yet, but JR is alternating with Watts. Yeah, and Boyd's wearing a navy blue blazer the next week with what? a uh, yellow shirt. Well, no, this is the week before. Oh, no, you're talking yeah, about the week after. Okay, you're not talking about what I'm showing you. And here yeah. he's wearing, but here he's not wearing the Boyd Pierce suit, but he's wearing a purple blazer with a pink shirt and a loud tie. Yeah. So, so the, the, the show from the 17th is definitely more conservatively dressed. Yeah. So. It's, it's certainly atypical, if nothing else. But yeah. But. What an angle, though. Well, I mean, what a TV show. <laughs> well, yes, but also, so one thing, I, I kind of forgot that when Cornette asks Watts for the specific dialogue he has during the WCW Smoky Mountain Invasion angle we covered a few weeks back, I forgot that Don't Touch Me, Sissy is a direct callback to this. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And... The amazing okay. thing, you know, and that was all, that rant was all, quote unquote, spontaneous. Supposedly Watts did not know. I mean, they had cues, and I think when he grabbed him the second time was when he was going to slap him. But yeah, he said he didn't, like Watts did not know exact, he knew the, the gist of what he was going to say. But, you know, he did not know the John Wayne, Marshall Dillon line. And it's funny that the John Wayne line is what makes Jim Ross shake his head. Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't believe you just insulted John Wayne. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is the beginning of the last stampede angle. And we do major business. Well, yeah, there's, there's, there's so many little things, too, when you watch – both of those segments and um, it's stuff that when you watch it back, knowing some stuff, it's funny to watch like Cornhead ended up busting his nose on the cake or on the table. So he's actually bleeding. He's got a nosebleed, but you can't tell because of all the cake <laughs> and you know that he sends Dennis and, or he sends Dennis and Bobby around the ring to taunt the fans so that they're not, there to run interference when the Rock and Roll Express show up. You know, again, you know, everything is, you know, choreographed. You know, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to show or talk about the beatdown the next week. But, you know, that is just as intricately planned as, as this was. It's like, so when you take, you know, when you take the, because that was taped, next week's TV is taped right after this. So this all yep. happened at one TV taping mm -hmm. when, with the, the beat down with the blackjack. So yeah, it's just, you know, it's obviously it's one of my favorite angles of all time. It's like, I still prefer ever so slightly the, the, the TBS angle with the original midnights, but just barely. And, you know, again, how many times did, did he repeat this? You know, there, I think there's, I think there's been five cakes. I think he said once, you know, that, that you know, he's, he's done it and done it, did in Crockett, 
did it in Smoky Mountain. You know, it's like Chattanooga. Yeah. Yeah, and Chattanooga first. So it's you know it's a, I mean it's sort of a trope now. Yeah, I mean, and it sort of plays off of you know the history of you know pie in the face and all that kind of slapstick humor. You know, we started by talking about the Three Stooges. So you know, it's just yeah, and again, it's, this is part of that. You know, this would be a great episode of Mid South TV with just that. But when you add in the Mr. Wrestling Two stuff, and you know, he calls TA and two chickens because that's referencing when they tar and feathered them a couple of weeks earlier. So mm-hmm. that's a, that's a callback, but yeah. you know, then you, you know, you've got the Mr. Wrestling two stuff. You've got the Terry Taylor stuff. Um, you know, you've got a fairly interesting TV well, match. Duggan. Mag- Duggan, you know, and you've got uh, a TV match between Magnum and buddy, you know, which is just sort of interesting to see. Cause it's, you know, there is still at the various stages, you know, Buddy hasn't really been pushed yet there. But he's getting there, you know, we don't see the match with Butch Reed um, later in the show. And we don't, see, you know, we, we miss at the beginning, I think, something famous from this era. We did not get to see the bracket for the Mid-South Television title tournament that Watts brings out that's written on a big giant poster board with everything, uh, with all the brackets drawn out. Which, again... Pure sports, but South actually has a bracket. You know, we don't just talk about it. Well, it's a uh, yeah, I know, yeah, but but they actually go to the trouble of putting of making a bracket, yeah. even if it does get kind of screwy. But again, I think this is just you know a great episode of TV with one of the all-time great angles in it. Absolutely. All and, right, Shreveport, and I did just want to throw in too. Cornette takes the big bump for it too, of course. But that might also just be the hardest slap I've ever seen on a wrestling show. Oh, Bill put some meat and mustard on that slap. He sure did. And he said that he didn't, he knew how he was going to bump, but he didn't realize how close he was to the ring, which is why it sort of goes in one trajectory and then he just falls straight down. So it's, it, you know, it's slightly different than what he thought was going to happen, but it's still great at him wandering around. Not, I mean, he probably was not silly, but you know, that's another part of the thing is you know him selling the wobbly legs and everything. Yeah. All right, Shreveport, March twenty first. Jerry Gray over Joel Savoldi. George Weingroff over John Keane. Bud Landell over Lenny Poffo. Butchery going to a double DQ with Terry Taylor. Rock and Rolls over Crusher and Volkoff. Magnum over Wrestling Two. And Midnight's won a lights out match over the Rock and Rolls. So there's Mid South for the week. Central States. Buck Robley has left the area, leaving the TV title vacant and leaving Bob Goggle to look for another Booker. So when we see, we see him say left the area, he means without notice. Yes, which Buck Robley was known to do. Yeah. So. All right, so let's see what we got here in Kansas City on March 22nd at Memorial Hall. We got Paul Kelly over Jerry Anderson. Tommy Lane working here is Tommy Rogers. And Dusty Wolf over Scott Ferris and Roger Kirby. Ron Ritchie over T.G. Stone. Grappler number two over Tiger Mask. Ken Wayne working as Tiger Mask here, doing the Jaguar thing, but as Tiger Mask. Well, he had done that. Well, oh, no, he's a... Had he already done that in Memphis, or is he about to do that in Memphis? He's already done it in Memphis. 
Okay. Yes. Well, oh, I'm shocked, by the way, that a pedophile is working in Kansas City. Oh, boy. Uh, Grace Lou Graham over Avalanche Bus Tyler and Ted Oates over the Grappler. He was convicted. Well, yes. I mean, he's. Uh, uh, when you look at this show, though, he's about the only one. So there you go. Yeah. Well, that's unusual. But. Uh, well, Buck Roby didn't have, uh, have, have that element in there. Well, I guess mate. not. No, that's not, that's actually interesting when you think about it. Um, how? I mean, granted, they don't have a particularly interesting crew at this time, but it still feels kind of weird that of all the people on this card, the one that ends up in the World Wrestling Federation later in the year is Paul Kelly. <laughs> he wore Crockett too. He was a Crockett TV guy as well. So yeah, but that's yeah, Central States. Not uh, not a hell of a lot of exciting stuff. But there you go. What else is new? Equip R.I.P. to Avalanche Buzz Tyler. When did he pass? A couple weeks ago. Oh, I missed that. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, he just faded away from the business. He he left Crockett as a Mid-Atlantic champion and started working outlaws. And that was it. So, yeah, he's an interesting guy. World-class championship wrestling. They recently filmed a music video for Michael Hayes' Basher USA at Zebos in North Dallas, where they cast about 15 tough-looking guys in chains and leather. So Basher USA is uh, about to be hitting your TV screen, so get ready for that. Now, speaking of the Freebirds, they have been feeling with Devastation Incorporated in a unique heel versus heel feud with the fans finally able to cheer the Freebirds. And at Sportatorium on March 16th, Gordian Hayes worked Kamala Missing Link when the Super Deans attacked the Burrs. Then Buddy Roberts and Kelly Kaniski even up the sides. Then Front Erickson ran out and chased Devastation off with Bill Mercer wondering on commentary where the Burrs of Von Erick can make the peace. The Burrs, though, then attacked the Von Erickson before they left the ring. All right, this is the TV taping. On March 16th, we have Kelly Kaniski over Mike Reed. Chris Adams over Buddy Roberts by disqualification. Karen Iceman over Super Destroyers on one TV. And in the second TV, you have Buddy Roberts going to a 10-minute drop with Chick Donovan. My Buddy Eric over Jimmy Garvin by DQ. And then Gordian Hayes over Kamala and Link by DQ. And let's go to that, shall we? Let's watch how all this played out with this three-way feud. Let's watch out, watch the fans in the sports worry about how hot they are for all this. Well, Gordy's got Kamala. Oh, Kamala came back with a heck of a blow. And look at this. Into the side now, and now Kamala's taking care of Michael Hayes, and the link comes back. Note, by the way, how in that era, the announcers are enunciating the pre-WWF spelling of Kamala. He is Kima, K or Kimala to them. Mm-hmm. Michael Hayes is being taken apart Frank and Oop. missing Link. Frank and this crowd is wild and furious. And speaking of wild and furious and wonderful bouts, remember the date April 15th. It'll be a part of the University of the Coliseum Hotel. 
Yes. Here come the Super D's in. Now the Super D's. And there's Kaniski, and everybody is fighting. Buddy Roberts and Kamala. The Link and Gordy. Hayes, Kaniski, the Super D's. Here come the Von Erichs. The Von Erichs don't like Devastation Incorporated, so Mike and Carrie are taking Kamala and taking him out. And now Mike is over fighting on Buddy Roberts. And the Von Erichs. And the Freebirds. Could they be friends? Could they be, well, Michael Hayes and Gordy and Buddy Roberts are the winners. As Carrie and Mike take a look at the Freebirds. Looks like they were all gonna be buddies here for a second after Yvonne Erics came down and helped them out. Oh, look at Mike Hayes! Now the Freebirds attacking Carrie and Mike. Well, there is no friendship, even though Yvonne Erics helped them. But Yvonne Erics are taking two against three. are out, the Von Erichs are in, and Michael Hayes, does he want some more? We'll see. Well, that turned into a real Donnybrook, a wild, wild fracas. And next week, our main event will be the Freebirds against Kamala, the Link, and Super D number two for the six-man world tag title. Freebirds surrounding the Von Erichs. As we watch this, I'll mention once again, and we'll tell you, oh, here they got never chance to do that. Look at Michael Hayes flying out. Nice drop kick, nice drop kick, and the Von Erichs have cleaned the ring. And we'll tell you more about world-class championship wrestling in a moment. Uh, that was that was hot. Crowd was going nuts. Mm-hmm. But you can tell they they wanted to cheer the Freebirds bad. Yes. The funny thing about that is I'm surprised they didn't mix in Adams and Garvin in that too. Well, they're keeping them they're keeping them separated, basically from that. Although I also wonder if it's because they wanted the Von Erichs to clean house, being outnumbered. You know. Two yeah. of us can beat all three Freebirds. Yeah, because Kevin's not there, so. Yeah. Kevin well, hits a hell of a drop kick, being that he's in jeans and work boots, by the way. <laughs> well, Kerry's you know, a hell of an athlete. Yep. To show you how hot this territory is, Chris Von Erich promised to make a Texas stadium announcement on March 19th in Fort Worth, and 9,400 fans came out to hear it. Let's go to the results. Kelly Kaniski over Chick Donovan in your opening match. Iceman over Buddy Roberts. Michael Hayes over Johnny Mantell. Junkyard Dog over Jimmy Garvin by disqualification. Chris Adams went to a draw with the missing link. 
Carrie Von Erich beat Super Destroyer number one. And then they closed that with a big elimination match where Chris Adams, JYD, Carrie, and Mike teamed up with Iceman to beat Jimmy Garvin, Kamala, Missing Link, and the Super Destroyers. That's got to be one of the biggest crowds they ever drew at Will Rogers, right? Mm-hmm. All because of the announcement. <laughs> Just an announcement drew that house. I think and might Jimmy Garvin is some nice support, but yeah. And what's funny is this is uh this is Max the missing link at this point still. Mercer calls him that sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. But I, I like not long after this, he's in he's in Mid South and he's Max the missing link in Mid South too. So, so I mean, it's starting to fade out this time period. Yeah, it's just it's just weird to hear it now because it's like, oh yeah, he's a guy named Max who's just is crazy. Yeah. I guess. Dave was wondering what they've been putting in Carrie's Cheerios each morning because while Carrie's always looked like he could compete in bodybuilding contests in any given day, his shoulders and arms have just exploded since it was announced he'd be facing Ric Flair at Texas Stadium. <laughs> hmm. Funny how that works. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, is there a storyline reason Kevin was not in the TV angle or is this presumably... It just a byproduct of the degree to which the grief and everything hit Kevin. It could have been. It could have been. All right, Southwest Championship Wrestling. Bobby Fulton beat Adrian Street on the TV taping on March 19th to win the USA Junior Heavyweight title. So Adrian could leave for JCP to feud with Jimmy Valiant. Hmm. So there's that. They drew 220 fans in Wichita Falls on March the 20th, 22nd, and 450 the next night in Waco. So they're not doing good right now in the houses. Does no results mean that Dave did not bother going, even though they were in the town he was living in? Yes. <laughs> wow. Or he went and just didn't put results in the newsletter. What do you want? Yeah. This group's hoping to return to New England and Warren, Ohio again in mid-April. Okay. Well, they're drawing better there. <laughs> so what kind of TV syndication did they have there? Because you know who their their promoter is in New England. Uh, would that be one uh, Mario Savoldi? No. Killer Kowalski. Oh. So this is just Killer Kowalski being a good local promoter more than anything. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Because, like, the original idea for an expansion started when they were on USA, but they haven't been on USA in six months. Yeah, it was Kowalski promoting in New England. Ohio, they had just been running there and kept running there. Were those so, billed as Southwest Championship Wrestling? Yes. Okay. I think Danucci may have been involved in some of that too, because he works some of the shows, so he may have been promoting as well. So, yeah. All right, AWA. Jerry Blackwell and Kipatero will be losing AWA tag title soon, as Blackwell's going to go work to Georgia in early May. And since Blackjack Lands is booking here now, the best bet is that him and Blackjack Mulligan will win the belts. Well, that doesn't happen. Uh, Winnipeg on March 22nd from the 74-24. We have Brad Rankins over Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal. Steve Olsonowski over Chris Markoff. Kevin Kelly over Stan Lane. Billy Robinson over Blanchett Lanza. Yes, that's I think that's wrong result. I think that's Buddy Lane. It's got to be Buddy Lane because Steve Kern's on the show. So I guess it's Buddy Lane. Greg Gagne over Kim Patera. Blanchett Mulligan over Bobby Heenan. Jesse Blackwell, Jesse, uh, Jesse Blackwell, Jerry Blackwell, Jesse the Body Ventura, Miss Saino. Over the Crusher, Baron Von Raschke, and Mad Dog Bashan in the main event. 
So seventy four hundred in Winnipeg. I mean, you got some some big names in that main event too, so that helps out. And Wally Carbo, he was a good promoter in Winnipeg. So, but yeah, I mean, I mean that's something that you know lands as the Booker of record now for the group for AWA period or just Winnipeg AWA AWA okay. period. Yeah. How much longer is Lanza in the AWA before he goes to work for Vince? Eighty six, January eighty six. Oh, it's later than I would have thought. It's the Winnipeg changeover, basically. Yeah. That's basically it. Now, Kevin Well, Kelly, we should just did... clarify, though, that's when he officially goes to work for Vince. Uh, there yes. are reasons to believe that he may have secretly been working for Vince before that. That's correct. Kevin Kelly, who debuted here last week, is Kevin Wackles, a six foot six, two 260-pounder with a Hogan life of zinc. He's awful now. But just about everyone is when they start out. He's been mainly wrestling as a babyface and has only lost to Brad Rangan so far. Wet Wackles was the Minnesota State Tough Man champion who was trained by Vern Gagne and held his own in training sessions with Rangans and Hulk Hogan. Hmm. Oh, I wish I could have seen that. Him and Hogan having a training session. A shifty oh. training session. <laughs> also... It's so weird in this era how often Dave and others use the term Hogan-like physique for people who had much better physiques than Hogan. <laughs> it's the blonde hair, I think, too. And being big and broad, I guess, too. Yeah. All right, well, let's close out with Portland. And that's a big happening there in Portland. Roddy Piper returned here this week, working in six-man tag matches, though because of his injured hand from the week before in WF. This is considered a disappointment because he was supposed to team with Buddy Rose for the first time ever in tag matches against the Assassin, Dave Sierra, and Rip Oliver. But they had to change it to six-mans. This, combined with the announcement of Andre the Giant coming here, in a- coming here in April, have a lot of people thinking that Don Owen may be getting tight with the WWF. No, it's that Roddy Piper is fiercely loyal to Don Owen, and... Don Owen was so much of a nice man that Vince allowed Andre to finish out with him. Because Andre gets to work. Here's here's where Andre gets to work in 84. See if there's a correlation with these. Florida, Eddie Graham. Dallas, Chris Von Erich, who they're pushing the Von Erichs on their television. And Portland, Don Owen. That's it. Vince lets him work those three. So, for what he was already booked for. But everybody, everywhere else couldn't get him. No more. Funny how that works. March 17th at the Sports Arena in Portland. Steve Pardee went to a 12-minute draw. I love Portland. 12-minute draw with Siva Afi. Well, it's not the last one either. Oh, no. Brett Sawyer, Buddy Rose, and Roddy Piper defeated the Assassin. Rip Oliver and Ed Wiskowski. Jules Strombo over Doug Summers. Tom Pritchard and Ed Wiskowski went to a 12-minute draw. Jerry O, Jerry Oski, Jerry Allen, over the great T.O., who would be uh, one of the New Zealand headhunters in Bota. Well, it's T.O. Taylor. Yeah, Yeah, T.O. Taylor. And Brett Sawyer over me, Mike Miller in the main event. But, of course, Roddy Piper is the story here. So let's go to the clip. We actually have Portland, folks. And let's go to the Portland Sports Arena and watch the fans when Roddy Piper makes his grand return. I wonder if someone on the show was who taped this originally. Possible. We're getting ready right now for our uh, main event. 
main event. This, this thing is bigger than a main event. Yes, well done. Uh, I haven't mentioned it before. Don Owen will uh, explain everything to us. Uh, yes, there's yes, a slight change. Uh, yeah. There will not be a title match tonight due to an injury to Rowdy Roddy Piper. However, Piper will appear. Piper will wrestle. However, he will wrestle somewhat handicapped. Matt Bourne will officiate this match. It will be a six-man tag team match. We'll let Don Owen explain once uh, Roddy Piper, Buddy Rose. Uh, they're coming down. And turning it in the ring. Here comes Sawyer. Rose is uh, right in the middle. Uh, I meant to say uh, Hacksaw Sawyer. Boy, look at him mobbing Piper. Holy mackerel, they're all over him. <laughs> Roddy... Uh, Piper injured his thumb. And listen to this crowd. Listen to this crowd. And what a welcome for Rowdy Roddy Piper. They are standing up. He is getting a standing ovation. What a what a beautiful, oh, what a beautiful reception. Rowdy Roddy Piper returns to the Portland ring. And these fans are frantic tonight. And he is explicitly Portland Roddy Piper here. Green trunks, iron-on lettering T-shirt, you know. Oh, they fucking, I mean, they're all standing. <laughs> I mean, there's no lie from Stasia. They are all standing here. All right, let's go, Vince. Don Owen, here's Don Owen. If you can hear him. A standing ovation. Don Owen waiting Ladies for them to. gentlemen, if I may have your down. attention for a moment. I wish to explain why the change in the car. Now, this has been turned into a three-sided team match for an obvious a what? reason. <laughs> three-sided. Roddy Piper last week nearly lost his whole thumb. He tore it completely, darn near completely off, and had to have surgery on there with have 35 there. stitches in his thumb. Now he was ordered by the doctor in New York to absolutely not to wrestle for the next six or eight weeks. But Roddy Piper says, I don't care how hard, how much it hurts or anything, but I'm not going to disappoint those people out there in the Northwest, my hometown, and I will be here. Now it is obvious, it is obvious that Roddy Piper is not, his handicap with his thumb like it is, and knowing the type of guys he had to be in with, he asked to make this a three-sided team match and put Hack Sawyer in there. So they could see that he wasn't, his hand wasn't stomped or these guys deliberately thing him up because he might still lose the whole thumb. And it's a serious thing, but he's gonna be in here and do his darndest. And I have to give him credit. Roddy Piper has a lot of guts, and there are not many guys would do that. I don't think there's nothing wrong with his hand. I think he's got something in there, and I think he's planning on trying to use it. There ain't nothing wrong with his hand, but there will be when we finish tonight, boy. This will be two out of three falls for a TV time limit. Big gathering, Don Owen. All six wrestlers in action at one time. Don Owen's still in the ring. And now, Buddy Rose rams 
Oliver and Wiskowski's head together, and these fans are frantic here on St. Patrick's Day here at the Portland Sports Arena. <laughs> Can I... you believe this, Dad? Look at these people. Amazing. I mean, that's just amazing to watch. You know, Buddy Rose's baby face. Piper teaming with Buddy Rose. Oh, I mean, and the crowd. I mean, that's just that's that's fantastic. It was nice of Don Owen to cut the promo for Piper, so he uh, didn't have to. I love Don Owen. <laughs> I love Don Owen. He 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 he's just so charming. It's a grandfather. It's like watching your grandfather in there, and uh, yeah, just uh, it's great stuff. God is great. He almost lost the darn thing. Who are you to argue with Don Owen? <laughs> Yeah, so um, so yeah, Piper stuck around as we'll go here and finish the week out here. March twentieth at Sports Arena in Portland. Tuesday Chief Tapu, special. yep. Chief Tapu went to a draw with Siva Afi. Brett Sawyer and Tom Pritchett over Mike Miller and Doug Summers. The Assassin over Steve Pardee something for Kurt Henning. Jules Strombow something be Jerry O something for Steve Pardee. Ed Wiskowski over Buddy Rose in a dog collar match. Special referee Roddy Piper. He knows a few things about dog collars. Matt Bourne over Rip Oliver. And in Seattle on the 21st, in front of 3,396 at the Center Arena. Jerry O went to a draw with uh, Jules Strombo, Tom Pritchard over Chief Tapu, Assassin over Steve Pardee, Mike Miller over Steve Offey, Brett Sawyer over Doug Summers, and then Matt Bourne, Buddy Rose, and Roddy Piper of the Assassin, Rip Oliver, and Ed Witzkowski. Who was the Washington promoter after uh, Dutch Savage got the boot? I think it was Stasiak. That sounds right, yes. So, and it's noted here that Brett Sawyer's back in full-time and is unbeaten. as They're giving him a super push based off his success on TBS. He'll be tagging with Tom Pritchard as well. Hacksaw Sawyer. Hacksaw Sawyer, that's correct. Hacksaw well, Sawyer. Hack, yes, Hacksawyer, I was about to say. Hacksaw and Buzzsaw, as they were called early on in, as a team in Portland. Yeah, so uh, great great time in Portland, absolutely. So good good stuff here. Go watch if you can find it. There's a lot of it on YouTube, so go, go check it out. Great shit. All right, well, that is it for us this week, Mark. We appreciate my man, so go ahead and plug away with all the podcast stuff you got going on and whatever else. Okay, uh, the Winter Palace podcast. Uh, still called that, but there may be a name change in the future. Um, we we just had uh, Greg Klein on the podcast to talk about his novel, Paper Tigers, which uh, you'll appreciate this, Chris. You know the famous game when Ty Cobb got suspended uh, for being up the guy in the stands? Oh, couple- yes. <laughs> yes, I remember that that story well. And then a couple of days later, uh, the Tigers walked out. So yeah, I remember that. They, they had to get a team of amateur players to play against the Philadelphia A's. Well, uh, Paper Tigers is a uh, historical fiction novel based on that event. It's about huh. um, some. A couple of the main characters are two of the nine guys who played for the Tigers against the A's that day one of whom ended up being part of the Black Sox scandal. And that's, that's true. So uh, we talked about that. And of course we talked about his junkyard dog book, um, probably covered some of the stuff that we may have actually seen tonight. I don't remember. And then uh, a bunch of other wrestling stuff. Um, 
we're going to have him back on because we did not get into his wrestling career. Like I didn't, I had either didn't know or had forgotten. He used to work in Alabama was, I believe trained by Adrian street. So you can just imagine what kind of stories, uh, you would have if you were trained by Adrian street. Um, probably by the time this, uh, comes out, we're hopefully going to have another pod with Carl Stern. Um, we're planning on doing some comics talk for a change. And we're also going to talk about that, uh, quote unquote, lost Alabama footage that just recently showed up on, on YouTube. You know, Carl saw that stuff live and, uh, he said on his podcast that, you know, some of that stuff he hadn't seen since it aired originally in like 1983, 1984. Um, you know, and of course I think we're all fans of, of heel Bob Armstrong with his mustache and earring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that should be a good conversation. Uh, the new thing, um, that's still kind of in the beta stage, if you want to call it that is I've started, uh, streaming on Twitch and playing here's 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 something niche for you i am streaming sega dreamcast japanese wrestling games which is which is uh giant gram 2000 which is the all japan game and the new japan game so that's um the the new the all japan game giant gram 2000 i think is my all-time favorite uh, wrestling game because it's got a bunch of different things than certainly the regular American games had at the time. It has a very different kind of creator wrestler where uh, you basically start off as a young boy and you have no moves and you have to beat guys in matches to learn new moves. And then as you uh, increase your knowledge, you you know, you can pick and choose what moves your guy has. It's not like sort of like your traditional WWF game where you just make your guy from scratch and give him, you know, all the super hot moves that you want. Uh, the New Japan game is sort of more standard, but, you know, it has all the New Japan guys from that era, including, you know, um, it has the NWA, the NWO Japan guys as a separate stable. It has a bunch of the juniors, including Dr. Wagner. Uh, one of the other cool things, too, about the All Japan game that I don't know if I've ever seen anyone else do before is uh, you have to play famous All Japan historical matches. And you actually have to recreate the matches move by move as they happened in the match. So, like, um, I think the first one is a match from the early 80s between Baba and Hansen. And you have to play as Baba and you have to do the moves as they occurred in that match. And then when you do that, it actually unlocks footage of the real match that you can watch on video. Of course, this being like you know, 1999, that wasn't something you know, it wasn't readily available. It's no YouTube then. You know, you get the, you could see them if you were a tape trader. But, you know, it's got and then it's got a bunch of the 90s stuff. So. You know, you've got to recreate Masawa Kobashi matches, Masawa Kawada matches. And then that game also has a bunch of historical wrestlers that you wouldn't necessarily expect to find in a game. It's got Bruno. It's got the Destroyer. It's got Brody. It's got Bobo. It has Gene Kaniski. And then a bunch of other hidden guys. So 
at the time, I always thought this was like the neatest game for all the different things, certainly for what we were able to play in America. So the plan is I've been testing it out over the last couple of weeks. We haven't started officially doing it yet, but there are some demos up there so you can sort of see what we're going to do. That's at twitch.tv slash metatext if, uh, if that's floats your boat. So that's what we've been doing lately. No Fire Pro Wrestling D for you? I have I have prior pro wrestling D. I have not tried playing it. I I kind of figured that Fire Pro is still around, so there's not necessarily the right, novelty. It's just in an older of, Fire Pro. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would have different people in it, but I haven't. The funny thing is too that it's been so long since I played these that like I really don't remember a lot of it. And it's almost like I've dipped back into my young adulthood because I've had to go back to GameFAQs.com and find some of the old uh, FAQs from how to play the game. Because I have some muscle memory with playing the All Japan game, but um, I think there, it may still be online. Like I tried playing the New Japan game cold, and it, I was very, very bad. But... Uh, yeah, but like I said, I just love the All Japan game. I mean, that's something I'm kind of just going to do sporadically when I have time. There's probably not going to be a schedule, but I just wanted to sort of diversify and try to do something new, and that's what I wanted to do. Well, nothing wrong with that. Do what you do. Do what you feel. That's what I'd say. All Japan really did have a weird official licensed game trajectory, didn't they? Because they had the the Natsumi games for the SNES and Game Boy, or no, not. No, Natsumi was the war one, right? Or was that... No, 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 The war one's Hammerlock. Natsumi is all Japan. And then they have the Sega trilogy. But in the middle of that, between the Saturn game, All Japan Pro Wrestling featuring Virtua, and the first Giant Gram, there's the one by Human for PlayStation, King Soul, which ended up serving as the basis for King of Colosseum on PS2. And then, of course, Virtual Pro Wrestling 2 had the All Japan license, and that was the last one. What I it's a different system, but I think I still have it in a box somewhere. But I think for I have a bunch of the PS2 games, and I think I still have my copy of the All Japan Women game. And I'm sure that would probably be something that would that would maybe get an audience, knowing the way Joshi fans are, especially if you're of historical Joshi fans. That may be something people might be interested in. If I could figure out how to stream that too. It's funny, you have to go through a, a couple of different hoops to stream Dreamcast because of how old it is. It's not just being like able to stream your PS5s or Xbox. Well, so are you using a physical console and a capture box, or are you using an emulator and screen recording? No, I, 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 have my, I still have my Sega Dreamcast. So okay. it's, I had to get, I had to actually import a, um, a capture a capture card or an emulator or not an emulator but um a capture card that you knew could capture standard def in a way that would yeah. work for streaming yeah yeah it's funny there's there's a bunch of different cables that you can get for the dreamcast to do this but apparently a lot of them don't work with obs like huh. they just don't work but this one kind of cable that's made by a british company like I had, uh, I ordered, but it's, it was out of stock for like six months. And then finally at the beginning of the year, they said, Oh, we finally have some more in stock. And I sent them a 
email and I was like, is this going to be available in the States? And they said eventually, but it's just got to go through customs and everything like that. But it turned out to be quicker for me actually just to order from Amazon.uk and get it straight that way. And luckily it actually came quicker than expected. It came like in two weeks. I was prepared for all kinds of hassles and waiting but it came, yeah, so it's like I have that hooked up to the Dreamcast, and then that hooks into my Elgato, and then the Elgato hooks into hmm. the PC. So it's it's frighteningly – I was expecting it to be much more complicated, but like when I hooked everything together, it worked the first time, and I'm like, can't complain about that. So, I mean, I had some weird technical issues in the beginning, like – Stuff wasn't streaming correctly or stuff I couldn't figure out how to save and I'm still having some other issues. That's why it's all still in quote unquote beta. Plus I kinda wanna play more and get a little better before I officially start. So you don't you know, so you don't get heckled about how bad you know, I don't want to be playing uh one of the things when you play the uh the main game is to unlock characters you have to I think it's seven matches that you have to go through. And it's like like the first one is usually like Johnny Smith or or Wolf. So like somebody low and then a lot of times the second match is Takayama or or Amori. And then like the third match you must almost always get Brody. And Brody just beats the crap out of you. I remember this, yes. Bro it was impossible to beat Brody. So if and that's and that's usually with me playing as Hansen. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you progress through, you know, you eventually have to fight, like, Masao or Kawada or Kabashi. I think usually you have to uh, wrestle Baba, and a lot of times you have to wrestle the legends in between, too. So, but, like, that's how, like, if you beat that as Baba, you get Young Baba. If you beat it as Masao, you get Tiger Mask, and and so on. And there's a bunch of other uh, hidden historical guys I don't I'm not sure of off the top of my head. Somehow my my saves got got zapped over the twenty years. So it's like I thought at one point I had everybody unlocked, but now I don't. So I'm gonna have to beat them. I guess maybe too that's not such a bad thing that I start from scratch and I beat them all while I'm streaming. But we'll see how it goes. Alright, well there you go. Alright, we appreciate it, Mark, and uh gonna have you back on again whenever you're you're ready to talk about some more stuff. Thank you. But we got another 80s show next week. As another patron requested uh, a show, David Davis, one of the names that we talked about quite a bit on the halftime segment of the years. He's going to be joining us, and he wanted to do an 80s show, and we're going to go back to 1985 and a show that actually is going to be about 11 days, so almost two weeks, week and a half. So on that show, we're going to talk about Jim Crow Promotions. Where, yes, they do have the new time slot on TBS, so we'll talk about that. We got Magnum T.A. winning the United States Heavyweight title from Wahoo Daniel in Charlotte, North Carolina, so we'll talk about that and other uh, JCP news. Then we got, uh, let's see here, we got uh, Kuwait. Yeah, we got stuff from Kuwait to talk about, as well as England and Canada. In Mexico, Puerto Rico, so we got a lot of international flair. Oh, which we, Kuwait stuff? WWF in Kuwait, Crockett in Kuwait, or something else? Just wait till next week. Then uh, we got Terry Funk TV show news to talk about. 
Pro Wrestling USA. We got the Dying Days at Chanterelles from Georgia. We got um, some a Southeastern. I got a Southeastern clip to play. We got Tux Demon and Randy Savage running wild in Memphis. We got um, Mid South, where uh, Dave is definitely excited about Mid South in this era. So we'll talk about that. We got all kinds of stuff going on world class. Why didn't Eric Embry buy Southwest for Joe Blanchard? We got a major problem in St. Louis between uh, Bob Geigel and Harley Race. We got uh, uh, stuff from everywhere else, even Hawaii stuff talking about in the show. And in World Wrestling Federation, we got the build to WrestleMania, as WrestleMania is after our week. But we got uh, Andre the Giant and an interesting appearance on Tuesday Night Titans to talk about. Also on Tuesday Night Titans, we got Hulk Hogan and Mr. T doing some grocery shopping. Bigs, get ready for this. Hulk Hogan and Mr. T on Hot Properties with Richard Belzer. Oh, boy. Well, and, and, and including a Richard Belzer interview from five years later about it. And in Japan, the shit has hit the fan. Bruiser Brody shows up at Cork and Hall for New Japan. And we got a detailed, detailed rundown of what went on there and why it happened. Oh, I wonder and, who Jay found out about that. Found that from. Well, I mean, it's actually from the Japanese uh, contributor to the Wrestling Observer. Oh, so, okay. So there's that, and plus, what's all Japan going to do about it? All that more next week on Between the Sheets should be and quite the. Show. I just took a peek at the notes. Those of you who like this week's show, more Ed Leslie in New Japan next week. <laughs> uh, Oh, no, wait, I went back to the wrong notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought I, I somehow... They, I didn't have the tabs next to each other, so I thought I was looking at the new notes. Never mind. You don't have Ed Leslie, but you do have Dr. New David Schultz. So Yeah, that, hey. that, that, well, the, they're both friends of the Tampa pipeline, so sure. But anyway, that's next week. But this week, Mark, we thank you again for uh, being on the show with us. Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State. Georgia.
everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets Patreon special episode number 25. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my host, David Bix, this band. And Bix, it's time to once again go back to the lovely city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and talk about an indie wrestling promotion. But this time, we're talking about a completely different indie wrestling promotion. Yes, we're talking about a Philadelphia-based indie wrestling promotion that employs the likes of Gabe Sapolsky, Rob, wait, what? <laughs> yes, but in a new era. Yes. As yes, yes, it's time to go back to the 2000s, 2002, and Ring of Honor, 20 years. Man, it's hard to believe that it's been that long, but here we are, 20 years since the birth of Ring of Honor. And, uh, yeah, debuted in 2002, but the seeds have been planted for this going all the way back for almost a full calendar year to the death of ECW. And we're going to get into that right now as we begin the show. All right, let's move on now as we go to the week of October 29th. Observer covered the 11th, 11th, 5th. There's ever an exact opposite of the first World Wrestling All-Stars pay-per-view. It would have been the two-day All-Pro Wrestling King of the Indies show on October 26th, 27th in Vallejo, California. Roland Alexander, the vilified small-time promoter and wrestling school owner in the Beyond the Mat movie, brought in 16 independent wrestlers of all sides and styles for a tournament to showcase the art of pro wrestling while inviting many luminaries from the past to attend. The results were both good, bad, happy, and sad. From a business standpoint, running two straight nights, these days in the same building is a risk. And doing so without mentioning names even more difficult. The shows drew about 275 the first night, 375 the second night. APW is often drawn 500 fans to the same building for its monthly shows with far less local publicity. The flip side, as mentioned by several wrestlers, is that it was probably the best possible audience during 75 fans due to style wrestling for. It was largely a combination of several different Japanese styles of in ring work. The shows had little in the way of bay faces and heels, no run ins, managers, valets, little brawling. And the crowd died the few times people went out of the ring. And all clean finishes, most via submission. Most matches also ended with the participants hugging in the ring while fans cheered the performance. Match quality of both nights was tremendous with at least four legitimate four-star matches topped off by American Dragon against Spanky, four and a half stars. American Dragon against Doug Williams, four and a quarter stars, which both well above that level. Jardy France against AJ Styles. Styles against Christopher Daniels were at that level. And the championship match, Loki against Samoa Joe. Loki against Chris Daniels, and Samoa Joe against Frank Kazarian were pretty close. All the matches the first night were good, most very good, and seven of the tournament and of the seven tournament matches, the second night, five would have been at least three and a half stars. The crowd responded largely as a Japanese crowd would, which enabled the style to get over. There were no boring chants during long periods of mat work, and the crowd was heavily into the submissions that wouldn't be understood by a mainstream audience. Most fans seemed familiar with Japanese submissions and reacted well to the UFC spots and positions employed that would go over the head of the casual fan. But the only thing, the only, the only thing that usually works in Japan that didn't was the knees on the ground from the side mount, a move banned in UFC, but over in Japan because we'd be in, as part of pride shows. Fans and retired wrestlers brought in were Nick Botwinkle, Kenji Shibuya, Pepper Gomez, Fritz von Goring, Red Bastine, and Dick Byer, Destroyer, along with Roller Derby legend and Calvello. She was there promoting the San Francisco premiere of the movie about her life, and they gave several matches, several matches stand ovations. While those who were there talked about it being the best show they've ever seen live, the numbers who will pay to see it are far too small for it to be anything other than the big money loser. 
Alexander is able to fund those losses through a very successful local wrestling school. But when presenting a product that would be a very close representation with a huge number of fans, particularly longtime fans, say they want wrestling to be, like what was mentioned last week, often that is not the kind of product they'll actually support. This attendance isn't a reflection of the style, it's a reflection of few fans today will attend anything that isn't WWF. While many people grew up watching old wrestling legends in every area of the country, few cling to them to the point they would go out of their way today to see them like their counterpart fans of sports like football, baseball, or basketball. There's a sad reality of every show that they've seen where big stars whose careers ended before 1995 abroad, 1985 are brought in. The older fans who watch them are no longer interested. The younger fans, understandably, having not seen them, have no emotional attachment or interest. All right, let's talk about this. Dave... <laughs> Dave is spinning so much truth, you know, in this about about this show, as far as you know the fan the fan situation. I mean, this is the people. I mean, this is this is the type of stuff that a lot of internet wrestling fans can't grasp. Okay, some can and no, but they don't like it. But it's true. Stuff like this is on. It, I mean. Is for niche audiences. It has a ceiling of popularity. And it can work in other places like Japan, where the fans are conditioned to uh you know to understand this type of style. But even then, those groups didn't draw always huge houses. Like Battle Arts was a successful drawing promotion. You know, I mean they did their random shows at Corkin or whatever, and they they did some shows in other places. But for the most part, they're wrestling, you know, in front of a fucking couple hundred people. Sometimes they're wrestling in front of less less than a hundred, and the fans are sitting on fucking mats. They don't even have chairs. And so, all of the visible fans are yakuza. A lot of it, yes. So I mean, that's the thing that 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 people need to understand in in today's times even more is that a style of wrestling that's similar to this can only get over so far. You know, you're not going to be able to attract a fan base that's going to come in there and, you know, spend the money. And, and, and let me read, let me read what Dave said here again. Let me read what Dave said here. And because this, this, this sentence stands out to me so much. But when presenting a product that would be a very close represent, representation of what a huge number of fans, particularly longtime fans, say they want wrestling to be, like what was mentioned last week, until I get stuff about WWA, often that is not the kind of product they'll actually support. Mm. Meaning financially. Yes. I mean, that they'll watch it and whatever, and they may watch it, but you know, who just said they'll actually support something like this? Um, and, and, and even today, I mean, AEW has done well, you know, as far as, you know, so, you know, doing, you know, selling houses and stuff like that. But there's still a large majority of fans that doesn't really acknowledge anything that's not WWE. I mean, they won't go to indie, indie wrestling, what it classifies as indie wrestling. And AEW is not indie wrestling. That's a, that's a different beast. Right. Because it's a major professional wrestling promotion on national television. Although, as we've seen, there are at least a lot of tribal WWE fans that think anything that's not WWE is indie wrestling. Well, there's that too, but I mean, it's not indie wrestling because I mean, no. if you're on national, if you're on national, if you're on a national television, like I mean, if you're on a Turner Network television, you're not indie wrestling. Sorry, 
So, uh, but but yeah, I mean, that that's the and, and you listen to Dave how he's talking about the crowd reacting and stuff, and we talk about how Dave feels about you know hardcore uh, wrestling and all that stuff. I mean, this is the type of stuff that he's into, you know, this type of mm-hmm. style and everything, and this is what this served is that is that is that type of fan base that is into that style of wrestling. And it's also interesting to note, though, as he mentioned, that this show with all these big outside names drew less than their normal shows would do with their local guys. Which is also a little weird because they have their most notable local guys on the shows. And APW had been, as much as anyone in that area, era, a work rate indie. Yeah, but there's this, I guess there's a story to be told there, though, you know, as well. Now... Also, from the video at least, and this is not a sound mixing thing because there was no commentary, um, that crowd fucking sucked. <laughs> yes, uh, expose the crowd here, Bix. Okay, so, Dave is right. I have, I, have not watched, I have not watched this in a long time. Neither so have I, I but can... I remember it vividly. Yeah, I remember stuff, but I don't remember probably as good as you do. Okay. Yes, they're well-behaved. They're into, They're clearly interested. But I don't know how this happens collectively to three to four hundred people. They were basically cosplaying what their idea of Japanese fans was. That it's, I'm, 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 I'm glad that you mentioned that. I think we have we have had that so much in the independent wrestling fans in the last 20 years stemming off stuff like this there i see it a lot there are there are a lot of fans and shows that i've gone to personally Mm -hmm. where i mean it's like there's no real emotional investment it's like you're reacting like you're supposed to react i wouldn't even say that though for this this is or you're this pretending is, to be like you're pretending to be like what you see on TV, or see on tape, and that's like that on WWE shows too. I mean, it's not just indie. I mean, they but you, people they see still what react see. organically and get into matches. What happened here was that they were really quiet for pretty much through the whole two days, except for applause at a you know, and like really peeking at some of the bigger moments on you know in the finals and stuff. Yeah, but it still goes to the larger point that I have is that yeah. you have a lot of fans and crowds that they're they're acting, they, doing like the, what they think they're supposed how they're supposed to react, you know, from watching wrestling over the years. Yeah, you know? I would say this happened the most and over the longest period of time with the influence that ECW TV had on indie crowd. Oh God, yes, absolutely. Yes, now absolutely. Thankfully, ROH crowds do not end up like this. No. Um, But the other consequence, which I guess I might as well mention here, because it's so quiet, (laughs) do you know where I'm going with this? I think so. Okay. During the finals against Danielson, Loki has his shoulder bandaged. I don't believe he had it bandaged at any point up until then in the tournament. No one acknowledges the injury, really, 
I think Danielson did a couple arm spots to set up his finisher, but he, it's not like he worked the shoulder consistently in the match. And then... <laughs> Former Pro Wrestling Torch columnist John D. Williams at one point calls out loud enough that you can clearly hear it on the video. Hey, Loki, <laughs> how about that bad arm? <laughs> which got distorted into sell the arm, which yes. is not ill, but became yeah. kind of the early internet wrestling forum meme about it. But... No, he says, hey, Loki, how about that bad arm? Which, I like John, but come on. But that's what smart fans did. Yeah. But see, here's the thing. When they did that, they did that. It shows where there's more fan reaction on a yes. WCW show. Well, Here, and, that becomes way more audible. Well, it also is a little hypocritical on John's part because, you know, uh, five years earlier at the Peace Festival... You know, you can read in the torch. He tears into the other some of the other ringside fans who are yelling stuff like mix in a high spot at Liger and Sasuke. Well, that's two of his favorites. <laughs> but uh, I guess let's get it down to the specifics of the uh, the tournament. Yes. American Dragon. The training of Shawn Michaels, who spent some time in WF developmental system before being cut, probably because he's 5'8", 185 pounds. And that doesn't fit in their system. Defeated the New York-based Loki, that's L-O-K-I, uh -huh. a 165-pounder who has the ability in the ring to project the R of being a miniature Vanderlei Silva. Spelled with a V as well. Yes. The match went 29.50. Featured a lot of mat work, some incredible innovative moves by Loki, including the moonsault to a senton block on the floor, an inverted fisherman bust off top rope, kicks that you probably expect to see in a high-level Japanese match. It was the fourth match in two days for both wrestlers. Loki became an immediate favorite of the crowd that had never seen him before live because of his ability to project intensity in the ring and to be able to work shoot style and make it not only interesting to watch, it actually looked realistic. His offense was so explosive and his quickness on the ground was so impressive that even giving up probably 90 pounds to Samoa Joe of UPW slash zero one, he was able to beat him in a fashion within a Japanese context where it didn't look ridiculous. He also has some unique agility and flexibility that allows him to do things rarely if ever seen in the context of doing a pro wrestling match. The level of match at the match shocked the older wrestlers who were expecting something more akin to local wrestlers copying the WWF. Instead, they saw the unknown light Dougie from England, Doug Williams, 1992 National Judo Champion, 158 pounds, who may be the most underrated performer in this industry, then invited comparisons with a legend from their era, Billy Robinson, who may have had the best match on the weekend with American Dragon. Had people known just how good Williams was, he would have been booked at least into the semifinals. Dragon tore the house down three times, including the championship match, the Williams match, which ended up with him having a bloody nose from some brutal forearms and the parent tendon problem in his knee, which he worked with the last two matches on. And the first round match was Spanky, another native of Washington, who he started his career with both, as both migrated to San Antonio more than two years ago to be the star people to Shaw Michaels. Christopher Daniels, who already has the reputation of being the best independent worker in the country, showed versatility in working with a lucha stylist, Super Dragon, followed by Georgia wrestler AJ Styles and Loki. Styles, who, like Daniels, had just signed with WCW when the company went under, garnered standing ovations after his match with Daniels, as well as an earlier match against Jardy France. Also, as talented as all the performers involved are, most have little chance at WF. While most do well in Japan, Japanese promotions aren't nearly as interested in talented 165 pounders 
Even with a cross of a, between a Bruce Lee and Vanille Silva are alike low-key, as much as a 275 powerhouse like Bison Smith, who suffered what appeared to be a serious knee injury when he flipped himself into the ring and a knee he injured on his last Noah tour went out. And boy is appeared to be doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. Yes. Because this uh, was an injury he faked because of the heat that's increasing between the old guard of APW and Roland at the time. Yes. Low-key style and size, plus shoot fighter gimmick all wrong with WF anyway, but he has potential as a badass underdog marketed for younger kids to relate to. Despite his great in-ring, great ring and interview ability, the latter is not as well known, Daniels is considered too small for WF. The Santa had that saw much smaller Spanky, who's only 165 pounds, but they're very, they're very charismatic and dragon cut, while much larger and less talented men remain in the system for better or worse. Williams would be a small heavyweight in Japan, but likely could stick with any promotion there that gives him his first break just because of his in-ring being that good. Yes. All right. So first things first, we should say what we should have said already. Um, This is here because Gabe, Sapolsky, and others have credited watching the King of Indies tape to being the moment they realized they really could start their own promotion. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious. When you read how this show went, what Ring of Honor would eventually look like. And also, look, I used to be skeptical of it until Gabe and others started saying it publicly when it was more just secondhand lore. What I think it means is that he sees he has 16 guys plus the guys in the non-tournament matches and realizes that between them and the Northeast guys they've been seeing that aren't even booked here, they easily have enough for a crew. Mm-hmm. And also, since not everyone even got mentioned here, here are the names. I don't have the brackets in front of me right now. But your field of 16 this is in alphabetical order because I pulled it up on Cage Match. So American Dragon, Adam Pierce. AJ Styles, Bison Smith, Christopher Daniels, Donovan Morgan, Doug Williams, Frankie Kazarian, Jardy France, Loki, Samoa Joe, Scoot Andrews, Spanky, Super Dragon, Tony Jones, Vinny Massaro. So, yeah, there is, a, you know, still a no-cow flavor in that tournament, but still, absolutely, yeah. I mean, some heavy hitters from all over the country on this show. Yes, and Morgan and Modest work ROH early. Yeah. You know, so that's absolutely worth mentioning as well. Um, and I think that the big thing that doesn't get talked about enough with this is who the hell knows where exactly Danielson's career goes without all this, without this tournament, because, you know, he got well, a lot. He already had, he, well, he already had ECWA. Well, here's the thing, though, with that. He had gotten a lot of attention from his Super 8 performances where he, Loki won, but Dragon was probably the tournament MVP. And he's being flown in regularly by Jim Kettner for those shows. But other than that, you know, because he got he was under WWE contract at the time of the Super 8 and then got released. You know, he's pretty much just trying to go back to school at home in Washington and occasionally work ECCW shows. Like, you know, like, so I think. MCW ends in June or July, letting them finish out their contracts. And it doesn't seem like there's much MCW results around, so if we just go for after that, like, he has one match in July, two matches in August, three in September, five in October, because of the tournament, then six in November, two in December. 
he was this was as halfway in halfway out as he's ever been in his career and you know not talked about here because i didn't put it in because it wasn't really relevant to the roh side of things there ends up being all this fallout because i'm actually surprised this part wasn't in the initial observer coverage originally morgan was going to win the tournament because the idea was to sell apw but then mm-hmm. Bachwinkle, Bestine, and I think maybe some of the other legends, but I think it was especially Bachwinkle was the main one who made the comment, told Roland something to the effect of, if you do not put American Dragon over in this tournament, you don't know what you're doing. I'm sure Donovan Morgan didn't hold a grudge about that. <laughs> no, it's not like he and Modest and everyone else left several weeks later to start their own school and promotion or anything. Mm-hmm. Um. And also, to help justify it, he give, Roland gives Danielson the trainer job at the school. Mm-hmm. Which, clearly, there's other stuff going on for him to do that, but turned out probably better than anyone could have expected, because Brian Danielson has been very good at training people since pretty much the beginning. Yeah. You know, some guys are just good at it. You know? Our friend Dominic Greeny was not wrestling long when he had... To take over the AIW school when, you know, Johnny Gargano, Gargano, Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae moved to Orlando. But he's a good mm-hmm. teacher. He had previous coaching experience, knew enough about wrestling, and it worked. You know? Yeah. At the, you know, Keith Hart school. Who trained uh, Just Incredible? Rookie Lance Storm. Yeah. Who would go on to be a really good trainer. Some people, you know... Uh, Someone who studies stuff and is maybe feels they have to work more at it is always going to be a better coach. And though Lance is, you know, incredibly gifted athletically, naturally, he clearly always had that mindset. And Danielson obviously did, too. So, like, you watch, like, the people he trains early on. I don't know how much of the video is out there anymore. But it was, you know, up back in the day with APW doing their, you know, click movie downloads for free. Those guys, he was trained. Like, the people who were already there got better. You know, like your Larry Blackwell types. And you also had people like James Choi and Bobby Quantz and people like that who were so much better than their level of experience. And nothing gets Modest and Morgan their guys were not getting good as quickly as Danielson's guys were. Yeah. So this is a big change for his career. Cause like he, he moves to California. He gets to, you know, it's, you know, he's living above the school in the garage, but he's fine with that. And this puts him on the path that eventually takes him to LA for the Yonoki dojo and all that. And, you know, pretty much sets up the rest of his career. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, everything that happened on this show was a direct influence on Ring of Honor being formed. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash Between the Sheets.